Played D&D with some friends. Oh, nice. My brother, he tried to get me into D&D for such a long time. I feel like, do you play like, do you know the version that you play? Like, are you really into it? Because my brother's like... I know the edition. Yeah. It's just, it's just 5e. Yeah, I think that's what my brother plays. He was doing like 3.5 when we were in high school, and then he switched over to uh, to 5. And it's like so complicated. At least to me, I don't know. Maybe I'm just like... It's one of those things where... It's complicated at first. Yeah. <laughs> but then once you start to break it down, you're like, oh, it's not too bad. Yeah, like, I think it's, it's one of those things where it's like, it's really easy. Or it's like the opposite of, you know what they say, like, like easy to get into, get into hard to master. I kind of feel like it's the opposite, where it's like, once you get all the basics, it's like really easy to get good at. Yeah. But like, getting good at it or getting into it is like really hard. Like, maybe. But that's just how yeah. I felt about it. It was like, difficult. Yeah, I mean, it, it's nice if you have, like, people who know what they're doing, yeah. too. If you just, like, started fresh and, like, no one had any idea what they were doing, no one had, like, studied it. Right. I could see how that would be, like, the most <laughs> difficult thing in the world. Yeah. <laughs> just break the book open and try to get into it. Right. Sounds hard. Yeah, and it's one of those things where it's gone through so many editions. Yeah, it's old. Yeah. Like, it's an old game. Right, and so, like, each edition gets more complicated, though. Yeah. That is weird to think about. Like, I don't know very many, like, just games in general that have, like, not only lasted that long, but have gone through that many, like, like complete overhauls where they have, like, versions. Right. Like, you never see, like, not that life is, like, like the game of life is, like, the same caliber, but, like, right. you don't see, like, like game of life 5e. <laughs> right, right, right. You're not getting, a, you're not getting several editions. No, of you're not of getting, life. like, in-depth. Or, like, what's a, like, I feel like. Pokemon has that changed since its inception? Yeah, oh, actually, okay. intensely so. I guess I don't know very much about Pokemon. Pokemon's actually so. Are you talking about Pokemon video game or Pokemon? I know uh, that games game? get deep. Like they're like they change a lot, right? Because yeah. there's like all the different editions. Like, isn't there like Diamond and all that sort of stuff? Mm -hmm. And they like change a lot based on the game. Yeah, yeah, right. absolutely. But and strictly the cards, like, has that? Yeah, the cards have changed a lot too. Ah. So. The, the ones that are worth the most money are still the ones that were, like, really big when we were kids. Mm -hmm. You know, like your Charizard. Yeah, like the old first. school. Yeah. Like, yeah. That That's really expensive. Do like, they make new Pokemons? Mm -hmm. like, wow, dude, I don't know anything about Pokemon. Yeah, my brothers actually are really into the Pokemon card thing. And so they have, like, thousands of Pokemon cards. Wow. Yeah, they get, like, decks regularly. They find, like, really crazy deals where you can get, like, insane amounts of decks for cheap amounts and... Yeah, like I was at CVS because there's like a CVS right by my work and we'll go there to get snacks. Yeah. And like I'm going over there and they have all these like Pokemon cards like lined up at like kind of the end where you're like checking out. And I was like thinking about it and I'm like, man, I almost want to like buy one because I know that some people just like hit the jackpot and get these like crazy Pokemon cards like randomly from gas stations and stuff. Yeah, that's actually... CVS's and places like that are actually good places to go, especially it's like a cash cow. <laughs> it depends which. Uh, it's weird, but they have like the different packs you get are different. So like some of those have cards that can be a lot rarer. The ones that sell for the most, they have like this one called XY, I think, where they basically do the old cards again. So it's like re-releases. Oh. Okay. And those ones are like rare hot and ticket. nice. Yeah. Yeah, those, if you get, like, something good in one of those, you're talking, you know, 
like money. A couple, couple hundred dollars. For that's a card. crazy. Yeah. I feel like that's been a new thing that I maybe Pokemon never went away and I'm just ignorant, but it's like it seems like it's something that's definitely like come back. Like it always comes back. It's like goes away for five years and then comes back and is like really big. That's actually really accurate. Cause like Pokemon Go was about like five years ago, right? Yeah, I think that was like like I graduated in twenty fifteen and I think that was like right at the cusp of when I was graduating was like Pokemon yeah. Go was like a huge thing and everyone was like doing it. Yeah. And it was like everyone was outside. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was that, maybe it was that summer. I think it was. Cause I think it, it might've like, been 2016. I think you might be right. It was, yeah. Cause it was either the year I graduated or like that summer after I graduated, like the summer after graduation. So a year from then, which would have been 2016. Cause I remember like everybody being outside like all the time. Yeah. Like nobody was inside. It was crazy. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that like blew. What happened? Do people still do that? Yeah. There's still people that get into Pokemon Go. The the thing that kind of, I guess, ruined it is that people started learning how to cheat the system really well. Oh, oh So man, they didn't that have sucks. to walk around. That's Because, dude, it's gamers. That's lame. They don't no, walk. But I feel like there's some authenticity to gamers to a certain extent. You there know what is. I mean? Where it's like they don't like that sort of maybe. I'm some, not a gamer, don't. so I don't some know. Don't. There there are some people who are purists about it. Yeah. But I would say about half of them are like, uh, if there's a game where I have to walk around and travel to get things, like actually move my body. <laughs> actually get up and leave the house. Yeah. Unthinkable. <laughs> yeah, that's a little much. But as far as like getting good at something online or like getting yeah. good at an actual game, that's yeah. something they'll Yeah, I guess that's kinda different. Yeah. Although I thought that was cool. I genuinely thought that was going to like change the the like the scope of gaming where it's like people just go outside. It could have. Yeah, I think maybe it was ahead of its time. And like in the future it'll be something that's like everyone's going outside to play games. Yeah. Well, it kind of I think it's kind of like what MP3s could have been for music, right? Cuz like yeah. MP3s could have been huge for music. Yeah. Cuz it could have been like a great way to get music to lots of people. Mhm. But they were instantly used to steal music. Yeah. Dude, that's, yeah, that's kind of like an upsetting history when you think about, like, just kind of like any anytime music has, like, transformed into a new medium where it's gone from, like, like record to tape or, like, tape mm-hmm. to CD. There's always, like, some sort of, like, not, like, bad history, but it's, like, yeah, some sort of, like, thing that kind of, like, like, we were talking at work about how, like, Betamax, like, should have been, like, VHS. And it, like, never was. You know what I mean? It just never got as popular because it's, like, inherently, like, a better medium for, like, video. It's just better in, like, every way. And it's, like, yeah, I feel like MP3 kind of got that same thing where it's, like, it just could have been huge and, like, kind of wasn't. Like, I don't feel like most people do MP3 anymore. Like, how do people transfer music now? It's, like... People just do streaming. It's all streaming right now. Music. Yeah, yeah, because... yeah, if I'm listening to anything in my car or really anything on my phone or computer, I'm never listening to, like, MP3 or anything like that. No. Like, ever. Unless it's, like, somebody sending me a file. But even when people send me files of stuff that I'll, like, work on, it's never, like, MP3. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's only a wave. Yeah. Like, I don't know anybody list. that sends MP3. Somebody sent me an MP3, like, four months ago, and I was like, what is this? Like, my computer didn't know how to open it. No way. <laughs> yeah, because I never do it. So, like, I hadn't, like... um it was something with like with audacity it wouldn't let me like open the file because i had never opened an mp3 before no so it wasn't way. set up to open mp3 and it just didn't recognize the file and i was like that's that sounds about right mp3 is just like a lost a lost wave dude it just doesn't make any sense like it yeah. just doesn't work 
Yeah. The one time, because like I'll use MP3 sometimes when I'm just, uh, I compress it so that I don't have to take as much data on like a like Google Drive or something. Yeah. If we're all going over a mix together and then we're like sending it out to people to like get thoughts on it, something like yeah. that. Yeah. I'll use MP3, but otherwise, yeah. Yeah, why would you? There's no, <laughs> like, there's no just, point for an MP3 anymore. Yeah, it's just not as good. Yeah. It could have been something, but it wasn't. Yeah. Because even, like, hardcore pros can't tell the difference between, like, a wave and an MP3. Yeah, I've never, like... I mean, that would be an interesting, like... Do you know in, like, the music community for, like, guitar and, like, just stringed instruments in general, the whole mm-hmm. tone wood debate? Where it's like, oh, like, you can definitely tell the difference between mahogany and maple of, like, a guitar body. Or okay. fretboard. And it's like this huge, it's like this endless debate. Like people that, like I'm sure whoever is listening, if somebody's like into guitars and stuff like that, like they 100%, it's like a, it's like a trigger immediately. Like how much that debate has like stirred up stuff, like discourse on the internet. How it's like, if there's a certain type of wood or a certain type of anything, magnets, anything like that on a guitar body, it's like immediately clockable. It's like somebody could hear it and be like, that is 100% oak. And I know that because I know oak, you know, it's like just this ridiculous science that people figured out. And I don't know how true it is. It kind of seems like not really real, but kind of sounds like the same thing. Like it would be funny if people could get some sort of like blind test where it's like mp3 or wave and somebody's like oh that's a wave i know that's a wave (laughs) like right it seems like the same sort of thing where it's like i don't think that anybody really knows but i'm sure on reddit somewhere there's somebody that's like oh i could tell an mp3 yeah (laughs) i I would love to test those types of people out just be be really funny (laughs) just like do a quick like taste test almost type thing with those guys yeah (laughs) yeah that would be good yeah, I'd be into that. I'd be I'd be down to host that type of experiment, do a little YouTube thing or whatever, just yeah. to screw with those people who are so Yeah, obsessed. I guess if anybody's out there like who wants to who t- <laughs> thinks they can test their MP3 versus wave yeah. knowledge, hit me up. <laughs> yeah. Hit me up at KM Bisset on Instagram and I'll we'll do a little thing. We'll, we'll see. We'll, <laughs> we'll see what the see how much you know. <laughs> yeah, we'll do a little YouTube thing about it. I I think that's a ridiculous idea though. I just think yeah, it's impossible. No, I don't think no it's way. possible. Well, like, and with guitar, there's so many things that go into the overall tone of a guitar. Oh, yeah. Besides just, like, the wood. Yeah. The that, variables are ridiculous and endless. Like, yeah. I mean, even if you were to take the exact same instrument, the ex- like, if you were to take, like, a Fender Strat that's got, like, you know, like, maple neck, a rosewood fretboard, like, ash body, same pickup, same electronics, same everything, like, they're not going to be the same thing, even if you had two of the exact same. They're just going to sound different. Like, there's so many variables with, like, construction and, like, also, like, who's playing them. Yeah. Like, how I play versus you play, how anybody plays, you know, it's, like, it's so different. It's, like, the technique is, it's crazy. It's just, like, and strings, too. It's, like, even that, even just, like, strings and, like, fret wire and, like, type of pickups magnets in the pickups how many wines the pickups have it's like so many endless variables and the I age so of doubt. the strings even yeah like age of anything i yeah. mean it's like the age of the wood like the age of the paint i feel like even paint makes like a microscopic tonal difference and it's like i feel like some people get too deep into it and they're like oh i can tell that paint is five years old and it's like you don't know right. man there's no way you know that yeah no it is ridiculous that's because like the wood like certainly the wood's gonna have an impact on the tone yeah anyone doesn't think that's crazy but yeah. the idea that you could tell the wood 
Oh, yeah. Just based off the tone is insane. Yeah, like you're some sort of lumber connoisseur. And you can hear it, and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> you immediately know. I just don't buy that at all. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. It's just crazy. like a master luthier. Who's just <laughs> a <like> luthier <laughs> sommelier. <laughs> like, I just don't believe that that's that that's feasible at all well even like wine snobs they've, they've done a lot of experiments with wine snobs and most of them think they can tell stuff but they really can't well yeah it's like my dad is a sommelier you know like oh legitimately yeah and he's like he's done a lot of prestigious stuff with wine and like like a couple years ago he went to spain and then he went to i think he went to italy or france i can't remember i think it was italy but his job has like put him on these like crazy trips to go like learn about wine like just to learn like go to spain just to learn about wine go to italy just to learn about wine and he's done all this like crazy stuff he travels all around and like does stuff like that Mm -hmm. and he buys like cheap wine like half the time you know what i mean like he's (laughs) buying like stuff because it's like if it if it's good it's good you know what i mean it's like and also it's like you can make like wine is i feel like now we're in an age where making homemade anything is like not necessarily easy but it's like easier than like it used to be oh 100 yeah and i feel like because of like entrepreneurship and all that sort of stuff like people have made the building of goods and like consumables like so much more accessible to like pretty much everybody i feel like i could go on like amazon right now and find like a winemaking kit or something like that and it would be like oh, yeah. probably okay you know what i mean yeah like i bet i could like buy grapes from vons or something and like make wine like tomorrow and it would be like all right like probably not the best but you know what i mean like yeah it's definitely possible yeah. yeah, he buys like cheap stuff all the time and it's like, yeah, I mean, it's like And then if you spent like a couple grand, yeah, on like getting some like nicer equipment, yeah, you could be turning out, you know, even restaurant quality wine. I bet, yeah. I bet you could fool a lot of people. You know oh, what I mean? Absolutely. Like like I'm fooled all the time. Like there's wine that I buy at Trader Joe's and I'm like, this is high quality and I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like it tastes good. Yeah. I guess that's high quality, right? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's a weird thing. I think I think there is like a quality difference. It's kind of like that. I've seen it a hundred times with a hundred different things, you know, from cameras to instruments to whatever. Yeah. Where it's like after a certain point, that price point doesn't make a difference anymore. Yeah, totally. Well, you it's know? like we were talking last time I was here about strats. Yeah. And it's like strats are like, they vary in quality so much and you can compare something that's like two grand versus like 200 bucks. And it's like the two grand is not going to, play as good it's not going to sound as good it's just it's so weird how the quality is definitely not dependent on like how much the thing costs you know what i mean it's like you can get cheap stuff that's like really good i mean this microphone like literally like sure sm7b is like quality microphone for like especially how much you're paying for it compared to other microphones that are like way more 10 times its price point like or more yeah 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 like even at my work we sell microphones that are like I don't know, like $3,000, $4,000. We sell like a microphone that just, it's just like a, like a warm audio condenser mic. It comes with like a shock mount. I'm pretty sure it's like seven grand and it's like seven grand for a microphone. Like that's crazy. Like, why would you not just buy like an SM7B? I don't understand like why you would ever need to spend the money. I've noticed though that there's a little bit of like foolery that goes on. Cause I went to, when I was shopping for vocal mics Mm -hmm. and first like getting into it, I went to Guitar Center and asked them, like, okay, like, what mics do you guys recommend? I'd asked a bunch of friends, too. And he started, like, taking me through a few mics, and he started saying, you're like, oh, this one has, like, a warmer sound, this one has a brighter sound. And I was like, what do you think of the SM7B? And he was like, 
Well, if you want it to sound exactly how your voice sounds, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> then get an SM7B. If you want the read to be exactly accurate, get an SM7B. And I was like, could you imagine going to any other place and having that happen where you go to like a Home Depot and you have no knowledge of drills whatsoever and you're like walking around and you're like, I don't know anything about drills. And you go to like the guy and he's like walking you through the drills and he's like, there's this drill and this one. And then you're like, what about that one? And he's like, well, if you want the drill to drill it in exactly how you want it to drill in, that's the drill for you. But I wouldn't recommend it. I would go with the one. It's like, dude, what? Like, yeah, no, I want exactly that one. Like the one that does the job that I want. Yeah. Like, it's like, it's crazy. let's get the thing that's the most accurate. That's that's what that's yeah. what you want, really? Right. No, yeah. you don't want that. No, you don't want the drill that will get into the hole exactly how you want it to get in the hole. <laughs> yeah. like. Well, and like especially with, you're right, the foolery of it because it's like, even the words you just use, like the dialogue, like, uh, what did you say, like, um, darker and brighter, darker, brighter. Like, what does that mean? Like, you can break that down to like, a pretty pseudosciencey kind of thing, but like, yeah. at the end of the day, it's like that's so subjective like calling sound bright or warm it's like that's such a weird like like just nondescript term that everybody uses in music i use it all the time where i'm like yeah this sounds like it has character to it or this sounds dark or this sounds aggressive and it's like that is not those aren't ways to describe sound like that's not like an accurate depiction of like what sound is you know what i mean yeah but it's like people get so swept up in that like it's like the bass that I just bought. I'm like, oh yeah, this sounds vintage. And I'm like, what does that mean? Like, what am I even saying? But it's like, it's, it is like a thing, but it's so weird. Cause it's like, I think people get really swept up in like, oh, I've heard this microphone sounds vintage. And it's like, that's like a crazy reason to spend thousands of dollars. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's the thing in any industry though, that once yeah. you start to get into it, the language starts to become like its own thing. Yeah. 100%. There is like a linguo or linguo lingo to it. I'm thinking of linguo like the Simpsons character. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I don't know who lingo is. <laughs> this thing my coworker is telling me about. It's like he's a robot that Lisa designed to like um, correct people's grammar, and okay. then he gets destroyed at the end by like uh, Italians or something, and they're like doing that stereotypical like oh, the bash in your face, and he's like I bash in your face, and like he can't keep up, so he explodes. <laughs> You just can't keep up with like the grammar. It's so weird. But yeah, lingo, lingo. That's what I was trying to say. But yeah, it is. It's like its own like its own thing that like happens, and it's like people characterize so much based on that. And it's like it's crazy how people make huge decisions just based on like that's these weird industry terms. You know, like it's it's just nuts. Yeah, but on the other hand, like if we were to be more descriptive, right? Then you're starting to sound like, how in the F do you know that? You know? Yeah. Yeah. If you're saying like, you know, it's sounding like there's a little bit too much going on around 2000 Hertz. It's just like, <laughs> yeah. Like if, if someone said that to you, if someone gave you that critique, I would, no, I would, <laughs> you'd be like, what are you talking about? I'd be like, that's cap, bro. Yeah. Like <laughs> that's, that's so not... ridiculous. If somebody told, if I sent my mix to somebody and they that happened gave, to me once, by the way. Are you serious? Yeah, someone said like, yeah, it's sounding like there's, you just need to take it down a little bit at the 175 dB range. Like, and I'm you like, don't know that. <laughs> that's what I said. I was like, how in the heck? 
Yeah. But then I took it down to the 175 and it sounded really good. So I was like, oh, maybe they're like a wizard. Yeah. Do you know who this person is? Shout out Tone Wizard. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's yeah. Crazy. It was, it was one of my, it was one of Dylan's people. It was like one of his guitarists or bassists in some other band. Oh, wow. But he just like named it right off the bat and like knew exactly the thing. And it was actually right. At first I was like, this is, he's so full of crap. Yeah. There's no way someone can say, you need to pull it down a bit at 175 dB and it'll be better. Yeah, no, just that's, be like, that doesn't right. make any sense. Like, that is just insane. Yeah, but he did it. Yeah, I, dude, I, that's inexplicable. And now I consistently pull down at 175 <laughs> It's like a thing you do. It's like always in your back pocket. Yeah. I'm just well, like, this mix, I think I need to pull down at 175 <laughs> Yeah, you said in the vocal and the snare. And so I did that. It sounded great. That's weird. It was weird. It was so weird. But it worked. Well, that's probably the only time that advice has ever worked. Because <laughs> I feel like most of the time, if somebody were to say that, I like if I was going to say, like, if somebody, like, sent me those notes, I would be like, no. Like, <laughs> you are so wrong. <laughs> like, there's no way that could affect anything positively. Or at all. Like, that just sounds crazy. Harley actually has a thing, like a translation. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you've seen it. It has, like, the different ranges for different instruments. And it says, like, oh, that sounds crunchier. That sounds, like, she has all those words broken oh. down by which... Uh, frequencies you should look at on an EQ. That's actually really cool. Yeah, it's super cool. Maybe this person, this tone wizard aforementioned, <laughs> like ha- knows the same knowledge and is yeah. like spreading it around. Yeah, that's no, cool. It was sick. Maybe there is some science to that, and I'm just like, I have no idea. It sounds like bullcrap. It really does. Hundred percent sounds like yeah. bullcrap. I'm not. I'm definitely not like a numbers person in the studio. Like when I'm recording anything, I'm very much like like visual. So it's like if things or i mean obviously i'm using my ear too but it's like i'm definitely not looking at like frequency range at all of anything oh and i feel like sometimes that's not good i feel like most of the time that's not good but then sometimes i'm like oh that actually sounds really organic another weird music term that doesn't make any sense organic but like it does it sounds like more um live i guess like i don't know how else to explain it dude speaking of organic I've had people where, because I, a lot of times I'll program drums, but sometimes I'll use live drums. Right. And I've had people criticize my live drums for being programmed. And I'm saying like... That's good though. No, it's good. Best case scenario. (laughs) Totally. But at the same time, I'm like, wait, you guys just can't tell the difference. Yeah. Or they're like overly, it just sounds like being overly critical to me where it's like, you know what I mean? Where it's like... Somebody is like just looking for a reason to like critique something. Like, right. These drums are programmed. And it's like, well, if they sound good, I mean, it's like, yeah, who cares? Sorry, drummers, but like, <laughs> no, that, that's my, that's my feel 100% is like, yeah. I don't care. Like, it's ease of use at a certain point. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Whether something's programmed or real or what. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, yeah, I mean, programming drums versus like getting a drummer to record on stuff is so easy. Like, oh. you know what I mean? Like compared to the headache of mixing drums and miking drums and like getting the drummer into play, it's like you could MIDI drums in like an hour, like for a whole song easily and have it sound amazing. Yeah. Or yeah, you could spend like an entire day, like getting a drummer and like miking the kit and like mixing the kit, recording the kit. Like, yeah, I feel like there's definitely like a lot of ease of use for like doing MIDI drums. Yeah. It is weird. That is such a weird critique, though, for somebody to be like, the sound programmed. It's like, who cares? Like, that's just such a weird, you know what I mean? Like, 
I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I personally, I, my, cause I was worried about that for a while, like very much into like, okay, are my drums sounding real or programmed or what? Mm-hmm. And then I just came to this conclusion after doing enough research on it where it was like, I don't care how real something sounds. Yeah. I care how cool it sounds. Yeah. Yeah. Does it sound good? Totally. That's all I care about. Yeah. Somebody was talking to me recently and said something like how they hate auto-tune. And I was like, I get why they would say that, but also auto-tune is cool. Auto-tune sounds really cool. If used like in the right application, like it sounds awesome. Like people that can sing really well using auto-tune as an effect, like that sounds awesome. Well, like taking, for example, Mm -hmm. Tyler, the creator doing Igor. Yeah. Yeah. He uses auto-tune in such a cool way on that album a lot of cool vocal processing on that album yeah like just awesome. tons yeah really cool like personally i'm not a huge fan of his like normal vocal it's just like not doesn't get me going which yeah. like i feel like anyone can have that with any artist where they just like yeah. randomly just can't get into the vocal very subjective yeah but on igor i was totally cool with it because it doesn't even sound like him yeah because it's so processed yeah and it i is, loved it it is super like unique sounding and yeah, I think that's cool. I think when people can use like, like vocal processing is just like effects on a guitar. You know what I mean? It's, there's like no difference. A lot of people use it to cover things up, which is like fine. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like if you're like a sloppy player and you throw like a wah on and it sounds great, it's like, okay, cool. Like just use wah now. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that unless your like goal is to be like an incredibly immaculate player of any instrument, which I think is good in its own way. But it's also like, People, I think some people are really afraid of just like effects in general. Yeah, and it's like, don't like they're cool. Don't be afraid. Like they're they're neat if you use them in the right time, in the right setting. Like it's it's awesome. Yeah, those unique combinations are what create new sound. Yeah, like I was listening to a Father John Misty song where all of the drums were panned to the right, the whole kit, Very and I was Beatles. like. I was like, yeah, it sounded like, but all the other, it wasn't in like a, like weird split stereo or anything like oh, okay, that. Okay. The rest of the song was like pretty like normally panned, you know, okay. like the vocals are like dead center, bass is dead center, like all the guitars, piano and all that sort of stuff are like kind of off to the left and right in weird ways. And then the drums are just like hard, right? Weird. And it was like the coolest thing like it worked so well and i was like yeah people need to be like less afraid of doing stuff like that when like mixing and producing like do something crazy like throw your drums like way to the right like sometimes it sounds really cool and i feel like people with like auto-tune and stuff like that they get like afraid of like oh i don't want to be like an auto-tune singer or whatever and it's like dude just use it like it's it might sound awesome like you never know you know like these mistakes like or you know quote-unquote mistakes like sometimes they're like really neat and interesting i feel like a lot of producers would look at that hard panning on the drums and be like don't do that that's like an absolute no like never pan your drums like that like all the way to one side but in that case it sounded great you know yeah it's one of those things it's like an art you know you yeah can figure out like you know when you know the rules you can mess with them how you want yeah exactly yeah oh with that is as far as like messing with stuff and doing weird stuff so Bruce Springsteen, I'm reading his book right now. It's actually really it interesting. A book? Yeah. Wow. It's good. What's it called? It's called Born to Run. Okay. <laughs> right. Of course. Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna, if you're Bruce Springsteen, and you have a book, might as well name it after your most popular song. Is that yeah. a song or an album? I think it's both. Okay. 
Yeah, I don't know anything about Bruce Springsteen. His last album was really good. That's actually like what turned me on to Bruce Springsteen. Oh, you showed me that. Yeah, like Letter a, to You. A while ago. Yeah, yeah, it's good, right? It was good. It was different. It's weird. From I haven't heard a lot of his music, but I've heard like, I feel like you can't live in America and not listen to at least like four of his songs. Right. So I've heard some of his stuff. And like I have a friend back in Washington who's like super into him. He's I think that's his like favorite artist of all time. And we would listen to him all the time when we were working at like the restaurant we worked at. And based on what that was like, and then based on that album that you showed me, it's like, yeah, it was like super different. Yeah. Especially, it was really cool. Yeah. Especially all this time that has gone by. And now he's like kind of, he's like old now, right? He's I mean, like in his seventies. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. But the dude's aged like fine wine. I would say <laughs> he's one of the best like aged musicians oh, of like nice. current. Yeah. But, uh, so I'm reading the book, right? And he mm-hmm. talks about this one phase in his guitar playing. He, he was not a singer at first. Oh, he was the lead guitar player. Huh? And that was like his things. He was the lead guitarist. Right. He didn't sing. Like, occasionally he'd be the lead singer for a band, like, for a short amount of time. Yeah. But he was the lead guitar player. Like, that was his thing. That was his niche. Yeah. Okay. 100%. So, at one point, he gets a six-string bass with guitar strings on it. Whoa. And he doesn't even know that that's what it is. Okay. He just gets this guitar, and he's like, this is a weird guitar. For some reason, the frets are massive. Yeah. And I can't understand it. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I dig it and it has this really unique, cool sound to it. Yeah. That's very bendy and very weird. Yeah. And he's playing at that time he was playing psychedelic rock. And so he's like, this is perfect. Yeah, totally. And so he starts just like going to town on it. And he doesn't even know what's going on. And then one day, you know, another guitarist comes up to him and he's like, dude, nice. You know, refitting a six string bass with guitar strings. Way to go. And he's like, oh. <laughs> That oh yeah that's <laughs> that'd be really funny if he was like oh yeah dude like he knew all the time like oh dude totally <laughs> he just played it off yeah yeah that's what i'm doing 100 percent. yeah i know what i'm about <laughs> yeah you, you get it too that would be cool. such an ego shattering moment for me like if somebody was just like oh six string bass dude that's sick and i'm like oh yeah that's yeah i knew that all along man like yeah dude <laughs> yeah that's what i've been doing good for him to like gracefully admit that oh yeah no the, the dude's like he he gives off an impression of himself in his book that, that he's a cool dude. Yeah. A little pretentious because he like, but it, it, I feel like it's less like pretentious and more like he's just obsessed with poetry because mm. like he'll get like real poetic oh, about cool. details and stuff. Yeah. I'm super, it make, makes sense. He's a great songwriter. Yeah. So of course yeah. he's going to be good at telling stories. Yeah. But I've been so impressed. The only one that's beat it so far for me as far as music autobiographies is uh, scar tissue. Yeah, I was, I haven't read it, but I was, uh, somebody was talking to me about it and I was like, Oh wow. That's, it just sounds so cool. It's so it sounds cool. really neat. It's a great autobiography. He's, yeah. He's a brilliant writer. Did you hear that they're, um, selling their discography? Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh Yeah. Oh. Yeah, for like a hundred, I think it's like a hundred and sixty million. I can't remember, but that makes me cringe, man. You know, I was thinking about it because I was like, I was really upset at first because I've been hearing about a lot of like older musicians doing that. There was like Bob Dylan did that, and then I think Paul um, Simon. Oh yeah, that's right. Paul Simon did do that, and then mm-hmm. um, who? Uh, oh, um, from Crosby, Stills and Nash. One of them just I think sold their discography, okay. or maybe like entertained the idea of doing it. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I was like reading about that today and I was like, I was like, oh, that sucks. But then I was like, okay, wait, like 
they have had a crazy career. Every album that they've come out with has been like pretty different. You know what I mean? Like, especially every time they get a new guitar player, it's like their sound changes tremendously. Yeah. It's like the John Frusciante era. And then when they had Dave Navarro, like that era, yeah. I don't want to entertain Dave Navarro's career in that band, but it's like, it is or different. Salim. Like Salim is a good example. Yeah. And like, man, he was so good. But it's like, yeah, he was like so much different than John Frusciante. And now yeah. it's like they have John Frusciante back. I know they're working on music. So it's like, maybe this is just like start fresh, make more music. I mean, it's like they're going to make this new album. I wonder if that's going to be a part of it, but I feel like it won't. I doubt it. Yeah. I think and it's then, just catalog. Yeah. So they're just selling all their older stuff and then they're like, let's just make new stuff. And like, dude, I, I think it's kind of cool because it is, they seem like a type of band that somehow consistently stays relevant despite being kind of dated like their band like the sound that they do like kind of go after is definitely like a lot older it's very dated even though they're like still kind of like pushing a lot of stuff and like pushing a lot of boundaries it's like they're really relevant but that yeah they're kind of like an older they old school kind of sound you know and like i wonder if this is just their they're kind of like their Miles Davis moment where it's like, let's just keep going. Like, let's just like jump over, like let's evolve and like adapt to like the new thing and like make music that's more like fitting to this current generation. Hmm. Cause it's like, you know, John Frusciante had his whole like EDM career for like years. So it's like, I did not know he had an EDM career. Yeah. He was making electronic music like forever. I knew he was making like a bunch of really interesting, like guitar instrumental type stuff. Yeah. Cause he made that, what to record only water for 10 days or something like i can't remember the name of that album yeah. that was like shortly after he left the chili peppers the yeah. last time i think and he's had a lot of different stuff but yeah he was doing like edm for a while and he was making like electronic music and like it's cool like it's it's weird and it's cool but it's like you know he kind of did that like thing and now he's like back in this band i remember like reading something recently where he was talking about how um, him and Chad have been working a lot on like drum stuff because like he's kind of a drummer in his own right now that he's been producing so much drums. And I'm like, that's interesting. I wonder if there's going to be like this weird, like electronic element to their music now that he's like had this whole electronic career. And now he's like coming back into this like kind of funk band and it's like, what are they going to do? Like, and yeah, I'm kind of thinking that like they're selling all this stuff and now they're just like, okay, like, if they did it for that reason, that is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. The thing I don't like about it is I know that so far, I'm not saying like it's a definite thing, a lot of those purchases of song estates has been like, okay, now we're going to hound new artists and say yeah. you've stolen this song yeah, and sue them for way too much money yeah, because they're trying to make their money back. Which that's so gross. Like It's so gross. Because I know it's like the Chili Peppers like, I feel like they would never sue anybody. Maybe I'm giving them too much credit, but I kind of feel like they're not in the realm of like, let's sue people if they like rip us off or whatever. I don't think they would sue as harshly as those estates do. Cause in the music industry, I mean, everyone sues everyone. Yeah. It sucks, dude. It's so brutal. It's, it's crazy, but it's a thing. Yeah. You know, well, it's like that whole, um, the juice world thing with like yellow card. Did you hear about that? Oh yeah. Didn't yellow card like sue him like hardcore. Yeah. Like, after he died yeah so like the lawsuit was it happened before he died and then he died and then they were like we can still sue him right and then they just kept doing it because they could sue his estate 
and it's just like dude like let it go like i just thought it was so gross because it's like the the grounds that they were suing him on were like ridiculous it was like they were saying that like lucid dreams sound like the chorus of a song they wrote and it like barely does and the melody is like so basic that it's like you shouldn't even be able to sue based off of this it was like it was just like really stupid i can't even remember what song it was that they were like they had claimed that he, that he had like ripped off but it was just like dude like sue this guy like he's dead man like relax this is weird yeah personally i i've been toying with this thought mm-hmm. and i want to get your opinion on it too okay of having it in my will i mean further down the line if especially if i get successful in music yeah right yeah i mean that's the dream obviously for yeah. anyone yeah. who's doing music to make enough money to just yeah. do music all the time <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> uh and enjoy it you know like just yeah. have happiness in life right i mean okay so once i get to that point put in my will okay when i die everything goes to public domain instantly yeah I think that should be the way unless like you could maybe like support somebody off of your music in like a kind of wholesome way. Like that might be cool, but okay. Like do like to a hospital or something like that. Yeah. Oh man, that'd be really cool. I wonder if people have done that. Jay and Barry did that for uh Peter Pan. That's awesome. Yeah. All the royalties from the place still like it hasn't, it should be expired copyright, uh-huh. but it's not because all the proceeds still go to that same hospital. That's awesome. And as long as that hospital exists, it's like the one exemption they have in like British law is that as long as that hospital exists, the copyright will go to that hospital always. That's so cool. Yeah. That's right. I I think besides that, or maybe supporting your family, supporting somebody that otherwise like might not have that money, just doing it in like a cool, creative, wholesome kind of way. Like I think that, is probably the only exception but besides that like yeah like just make your music free for everybody like i think that should just be how it is like i kind of feel like that should be how it is in general like people should not be so worried about making money through music like i think that obviously artists need to be able to be like supported and stuff like that but it's like i wish that there was more of like a kind of like the barrier for entry wasn't so high. Hmm. And then also I kind of feel like artists in a lot of ways get drastically overpaid to a certain extent. Some. Yeah. Some of them get just like insanely overpaid. There's a, there's a really long tail to that distribution. Yeah. It's, it's complicated. There's like, so many musicians so, who do not get paid. In yeah. Year. But there's and also like deserve to be way more, yeah. you know, like, but it's, it's weird. Cause it's like, I feel like the music industry in the last like 50 years has become such a different thing. Like I was thinking about, um, with this, like this whole, like everyone's selling their discography recently Mm -hmm. and selling it for like insane amounts of money. You know what I mean? Like how much Bob Dylan sold, what did he sell to like universal or something like that for like, like hundreds of millions of dollars, like four or $500 million, something crazy like that. And it's like, that is, just an insane amount of money. And I, it's like, I get it. You're Bob Dylan. You've had an insane career. You're one of the most like successful songwriters of all time. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, you're so successful and rightfully so. Cause it's like, he wrote amazing music and like, right. he had a great career and like, who knows, maybe like still will. But it's like, I think about that and I'm like, I think some of these musicians and I don't want to like put words in their mouth or, you know, whatever, like assume things, but it's kind of like, 
I think some of them like feel weird about like I see like tweets sometimes where like musicians that are like really big and really well known are like irritated at like Spotify because they don't like pay people well. And I kind of think about that and I'm like back in like, you know, the 60s or 70s, it's like to be in a band that was successful, I don't think was nearly as hard as being a successful band now because it's like back then it was like you play enough shows you will probably get signed. Like, especially in like the nineties, like that time period where it was like digital music was not really like a thing. And it was still like doing CDs or doing tape, like something like that, like where you're working for a label and that label is providing all of this stuff for you as far as like, you know, housing and they're like footing the bill for you to like be creative and all that. I just feel like it was easier then. Cause it's like, you think about the bands that had succeeded then versus now. And I don't know, maybe it's just like, just because I'm part of this generation, you know, not like that older generation, mm-hmm. but it just seems like it was so much easier to like make tons of money being a music artist as like com- then compared to now. You know what I mean? The industry models were drastically different. Yeah. That's, I don't know. It's hard to say like easier or harder. Yeah. Cause it was harder to make music at all. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And so because of that, if you made music, you're probably going to be decently successful. Yeah. But now it's so easy to make music that like, yeah. you know, someone grabs an iPhone and they're making like little bops. Yeah. yeah. Which is cool. But at the same time, that ease of use can oversaturate the market. A yeah, oh, bit. definitely. Yeah. That's a good way to put it is that like the market has become drastically oversaturated with artists, which yeah. I don't think is bad. I think it's great that like people have accessibility to like make music, but it is weird to think about because like you look at Spotify and how terrible they are to artists, you know, and yeah. how they like drastically underpay people. And yeah. it's like, you compare that to like selling records, you know what I mean? Like the only way to make money playing music besides shows back in the day is like you sold records and you did shows. And it's like that pays like so well compared to like yeah. artists now where it's like you're almost entirely relying off of like digital media, like YouTube, Spotify, right. like streams and stuff like that. And right now digital marketing because you can't really do live shows as much. Yeah. Well, yeah. S- soon, hopefully that yeah. changes. Yeah. But, but even right even before the pandemic. You know what I mean? Yeah. I kind of feel like in a certain way it was like, it's just weird because I'll see older musicians like that are super successful, like tweet stuff like that or like just get irritated about how like Spotify doesn't pay me enough. Like Metallica. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, imagine Mm -hmm. like, you know, like (laughs) they're, they made so much money. They still make so much money and it's like, they're insanely wealthy. Yeah. Like that compared to like bands now where it's like, Spotify streams is all they have. They never had a time where they were selling tapes. They never had a time where they were selling records. Like what's interesting is if you look and and I've learned this too, like talking to people from that generation more Mm -hmm. is that the shows used to be very cheap. Yeah. And the, um, albums were more expensive. Oh, okay. So like a band would make a lot of money off of their album but they wouldn't make as much touring as they do now. Yeah. Cause now like, okay, let's say like in the pit, John Mayer show, mm-hmm. you're looking at bare minimum like seven, three- $700. Oh wow. I, wasn't I would say <laughs> 300 maybe. Yeah. I don't think so. I think it'd be like, I feel like 300 would be like, yeah, like in the back <laughs> three, <laughs> like- 300 you're like, 
So like if it's an arena, yeah. right? John Mayer's show, 300, you're getting like first row on the bottom. Yeah. But to get into that pit. Yeah. And like be in the main stage area. Yeah. That I mean that's that, crazy. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. an insane amount of money. Like Yeah. But that's what it is. Yeah. You know? And so back in the day, you know, you'll see like little ticket stubs and stuff for these concerts where they're like insane concerts, like original Woodstock, for example. Yeah. And they spent like eight dollars. Wow. What's the what's what would be like the um equivalent now so eight dollars um, from like 69 or 68 like what would yeah you mean like dollar to dollar like yeah. based on inflation yeah probably not i mean i don't even know how like it probably wouldn't be that much like in no. comparison like yeah, i mean not 700 dollars. you know what i mean yeah like, maybe like it might be like 50 yeah maybe that sounds accurate uh but i don't even think it'd be that much it might be like 25 26 yeah that's what I, I'm not 100 percent sure. Yeah, who I knows? Would have to look at like the numbers. There, there's <laughs> yeah. good apps and stuff to f- figure that out. But uh, the eight to that to now, like if you were going to go to a modern um, festival, mm-hmm. you know, which probably the best equivalent is like Coachella, right? Of like a modern Woodstock type vibe. I yeah, that or Burning Man. Yeah, I feel like is Burning Man's crazy though. Yeah. Burning Man, you're spending like ten grand just yeah. to go. Ten grand, really? Oh yeah, that's nuts. Oh, yeah. Ten grand, dude. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, but Coachella is like four grand, I think. Three grand, four That's grand. still an insane amount of money. Like, yeah. That's, no, it's that's, I had no crazy. idea. I've never been to a music festival like that. I have no idea how much that stuff costs. Like, it is crazy to think about that, like, four grand is, like, how much it costs just to, like, see artists. Yeah. Like, that's nuts. Granted, that is, like, you know, festival intensity, like, tons of artists, tons of big artists. Yeah. So, that's a different. But you know, big artists played at Woodstock. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it is. It is different now because it's like those. I think the same artists like, like Grateful Dead, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, like people like that that played at Woodstock. Santana. Yeah, huge bands, huge people. Like those were like the biggest musicians at that time. Some of them, you know. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, Coachella. It's basically the same thing. I mean, it's pretty equatable. I think. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Just, yeah, it is crazy. Yeah, so so that's the big difference is that the live shows have really gone up in ticket value. Yeah, that is weird to think about. Yeah, because it's almost entirely flipped. Like mm-hmm. you were saying, it's like if like records were like really expensive, but then like the shows were really cheap, and now it's the opposite, where it's like to you could listen to music for free. You know what I mean? It's like you can find like buying stuff is I guess one thing, but it's like, I mean, I could. I pay for Spotify. I have like Spotify premium and it's like I pay the $10 a month and I can basically have as many albums as I want as many as my phone will fit. So it's like, yeah, that's kind of insane. (laughs) Like, no, it's a hundred percent insane. Like that's just crazy. Yeah. So it's just, it's just a flipped market, which I mean, to be honest, Spotify pays it's non-independent, like it's label. Uh, yeah. artists more than it does its independent artists oh okay and so they're still making like a decent chunk of chains yeah you know? oh i'm sure people that are getting like millions and millions of views are doing fine <laughs> and yeah. i'm sure i'm sure the big names are like doing all right but it is like oh yeah it's kind of scary to think about like independent musicians especially live music being like not less and less of a thing because there's definitely still a lot of live music but it's like 
it's less than it used to be just because of like how recorded music has changed and how technology of like playing music has changed. So yeah. it's like, you know, why hire a band when you can hire a DJ? Kind of the same thing where it's like it's cheaper, you know, right. the quality is going to be like more, you know, studio quality because you're playing studio music, you know. So it is, dude, it's so weird to think about just, like, how much, like, the music industry has changed in such a short time. Yeah. It's cool. I, I actually did papers on that type of stuff in college. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, all my economics papers were on music industry stuff. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's, like, a lot of, like, economics based in that. Like, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. The amount, like, the, the money that goes through the music industry and, like, how all of that happens is, like, crazy. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I and the labels are are fascinating too because I I struggle to see more and more like the intrinsic value of a label. Like as time goes on, you mean? Yeah, cuz like yeah. labels are now expecting people to like have marketed themselves. Yeah, it's like I feel like back in the day it was like I'm going to take you and I'm going to make you a star. Whereas now it's like, you better already be a star and I'm going to capitalize on that stardom. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's almost like, it's like a lot of things. It's like the opposite now where it's like a lot of labels and just like people in the music industry that are trying to like, like find you and like, you know, do all that sort of stuff. Like they almost like want people that are already, already have a following, like already have Instagram followers, already have a YouTube following, like stuff like that. Yeah. Whereas, like, I feel like back in the day, it was, like, you basically, not even that long ago, like, 10 years ago, it was kind of, like, you get discovered, and, like, somebody's, like, oh, I like this person. Like, I'm going to make them famous. Right. And it's, like, not really that way anymore. No. Just because of how social media has changed the game in, like, finding and, like, developing somebody like that, like, somebody ultra successful. Yeah. It's just a different, it's a different game. So, it does, like if I ever get that opportunity, which I hopefully do at some point to get like in a room of like signing, I would definitely be asking like my number one question would be like, what are you doing for me? Yeah. You know, like what is (laughs) the, what is your function here? Yeah. Cause if it's CD distribution, like, yeah. Like how, how much are we really making off of CDs? Yeah. Probably not a lot. Yeah, but if it's, like, if you're willing to put in, like, a bunch of money in my marketing, great. Yeah, because, I mean, that's kind of, like, the name of the game now is, like, somebody that is a record label or somebody that could provide you a lot of new eyes, you know, that are, like, seeing your stuff. Like, yeah. that's that's absolute money. Like, if you can yeah. make people see you in, like, a big way. Like, it's weird. I think, like, that you know how that term, like, the 15 minutes of fame or whatever that used to be kind of like a derogatory thing where it's like, oh, they have it now and then it'll go away. It's almost the opposite where it's like, if you have that 15 minutes in front of a huge audience, like people will just want to see more. Right. You it's can almost inevitable. It. Yeah. Like you can like easily, like if you get in front of something big enough and just like have a huge, you see it all the time on like YouTube and TikTok and stuff like that. It's like, if you just have your minute, like people will inevitably want to follow you in some way and like yeah. support you. It's crazy. Yeah. I don't know if I would ever sign to a label like genuinely. I've been thinking about that a lot just cause it's like, in a lot of ways it's super cool, but it, it's sketchy sometimes. It, it depends what they're offering. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So like, so you, we, we both like 
producing, right? Yeah. yeah. So like, let's say you're hip hop producing, right? Yeah. And there, it's like uh, Def Jam mm-hmm. is willing to sign you as a producer. Yeah. And you signing with Def Jam is a guarantee that you will be paired with some of the best rappers in the industry. Yeah. Which as a producer is like the goal. You know right. Because I mean? like you could basically produce pretty mediocrely as long as like somebody huge is rapping. On also, producer contracts are way less sketchy than artist contracts. Yeah. They give you so much more money. Yeah. Because they're not counting on you to do anything other than like produce music. Right. Like they're not like you got to go do all this stuff and like you got to be the face of McDonald's or whatever. <laughs> like right. they're just like you better make good tracks and have people want to listen to them. Which is, yeah, arguably the only reason to sign to a record label. Yeah, so as a producer, that's not a, that's not a terrible deal at all. Yeah. That yeah, actually I mean, sounds pretty dope. Yeah, I would do that. If somebody was like, if I was producing hip hop and somebody was like, I want to sign you and I want to put all of these great rappers like in your wheelhouse that you can just produce with all the time, like I would totally do that. But then also it's like, I feel like with social media, it's like, if it's almost like if you're in the position to sign with somebody who's like going to give you that opportunity, you might already have that opportunity. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's so weird now because it's like, it's not like you can go so many different ways. It's not the only direction to go. Right. If you, if you have the opportunities already, Mm -hmm. then yeah, there's no reason to sign. Yeah. But if you, if signing will increase your opportunities, there's no reason not to sign. Yeah. It's so weird. (laughs) Like, it's uh it's crazy to think like how much like just goes into like being a member of the music industry like people like managers and like agents and all that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. that was like one of those things where it's like before i moved to vegas i was like why would anybody have like a manager if you're like a musician but being in this area where there's a lot of big music happening i'm like oh i get it it's crazy like you need so much like help like people with like marketing and like putting you in the right direction and like kind of showing you what opportunities are good or not. It's crazy. And yeah, like I think being signed is one of those things where it's like, if I ever got the opportunity, I would almost inevitably say yes, just because it would be like guaranteed job opportunity. It's like, if you're doing good, you're going to get paid. Whereas like if you're independent, it's kind of like up to you. Like if you slack off and aren't making good content, like you're, following is going to not exist anymore right <laughs> which is like terrifying yeah but it's kind of become like more and more common like people being independent doing the diy thing because it's so much more accessible which is great but yeah it's scary because it's like you're uh, left to your own devices almost entirely right which is so <laughs> freaky and, and sometimes you can't connect well doing that though because like so ajr they were independent for a while yeah yeah, I know AJR. And they got like Rivers Cuomo on a track. Independent. Yeah. So Yeah. I mean he's <laughs> he's probably one of the bigger names yeah. in alternative rock, I would say. Especially if not just the, biggest. the name too. It's like people exa- they know who you're talking about, you know what I mean? It's like Right. Like, you get yeah. that voice on a track. Like who else would compete there? You know, maybe like Brandon Flowers? Yeah. Or like Dan Reynolds? Yeah. Maybe. I feel like Rivers Cuomo has a, even a little bit more tick than someone like Imagine Dragons. Yeah, I mean, I I listened to Weezer way more than I listened to Imagine Dragons when I was like a uh, like a preteen. Yeah, <laughs> like that was like my jam. Like, yeah, and they've just been around for such a long time too. And they've consistently put up good stuff. Yeah, 
So yeah, that's it's crazy. I mean, to think about like, like even yeah, just in the producer realm, like people that make cool stuff, throw it on Twitter, and then somebody's like, "I use your track." Like, yeah, hope that's cool. And it's like, Lupe did that. Yeah, yeah, with Kalen Ellis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kalen Ellis is like, I I watch his stuff all the time. He makes amazing stuff. Or like the Count. You ever listen to him? No. He's awesome. He's on YouTube. He makes all these crazy beats on tape. Oh, cool. And it's like On soup. tape? <laughs> yeah, he uses all this like outboard analog Wild. gear. Wild. It sounds awesome. And it's like hip-hop production stuff? Uh, almost exclusively. Weird. It's on like, tape. Very cool. It's all like... That's like that's none wild. like not really any samples besides he uses like an OP one I've seen a lot. He'll yeah. do this thing, he did like daily beats all the time where it was like count makes a beat. And he has like I gotta be at least like a hundred of them now. And it'll be like these little kind of shorts, like one maybe two minute songs that okay. he makes and he kinda just like like videotapes the whole thing and he'll be like playing like a xylophone and using all these crazy wind chimes and then have these interesting percussion elements and mm. then like keyboards, bass, like random instruments. And then sometimes People will be like posting videos. I'm not sure if he takes them or if he gets permission or if it's like a collab sort of thing where he'll like some girl is playing like a harp and then he just like uses that and then like makes a beat around it. Kalen Ellis has done a bunch of videos with him. I don't know if they're like collaborative or like I had said earlier, maybe he just like uses them and is like, hey, I use this. Hope that's cool. Yeah. But he makes these like incredible little shorts and they're mm. awesome. They're that's cool. They're just so cool. That sounds very like Ludwig Gorenson yeah yeah very like organic like yeah very like analog kind of gear i feel like he uses a lot of analog gear i've watched a couple of his videos where he like is breaking yeah. down songs oh yeah. And, yeah i don't think i've ever seen a thing like a, a him like doing a thing where he's not using analog yeah you know Which i mean, i think it's cool i think it's yeah. so awesome that people I, are like doing more and more of that yeah like, that's actually supposed to, that's what my next because i like to do little challenges when i do like my own solo projects yeah yeah. Right. So like uh, with the one I'm putting out right now, that I'm like working on doing like a notes for right now where I'm mm -hmm. sending it to some friends, getting their notes on it. Yeah. Uh, the challenge was to try to stick as much as possible to bass drum vocal. Nice. So I ended up doing some really interesting things with vocals because you got it. <laughs> yeah, you got it. You yeah. got to use do some weird crap with your vocals. Otherwise, yeah. You don't have anything. You got to fill the sonic territory somehow. Right. And yeah. so in verses on that, there's like, I don't think there's any, I think there's one part in one verse where I'm using some keyboard, but it's very much like bass drum vocal. Yeah. So that was that. And then this next project, my goal is to use as much organic instrumentation as possible. Nice. So I'll mess with it for sure. You know, yeah. like... I'll process the vocals. I'll process the guitars and percussive elements I use. But the goal is, you know, let's not turn to those MIDI synths, all those things that yeah. I, I'm so comfortable with Yeah. initially. I think it makes like using like, like electronic virtual anything, like is so cool how much stuff you can do with it. But I really like the organic stuff. I mean like, it's like I produce on Audacity. So it's like I'm basically only using a DAW to like track and then everything mm. else is like organic instruments. Like I'll do everything in a mixer before it goes to like mics and then immediately into like an interface mm. and then just tracks. So it's like I'm getting all of the sounds before the computer, you know? Yeah. 
and I think it's expensive <laughs> because like you have to buy all the equipment. Yeah. But I like it a lot better because I think you can like get away with a lot more interesting sounds. You know what I yeah. mean? And like you, you have more manipulation up front when you're recording. But I definitely, I love that. Like I think it's so cool. I've been doing this thing recently where like I'm kind of like I'm building up my studio right now because I want to do more of that, more like organic, like actual sounds and stuff. And like a lot of it is like very synth based. And I was like, in this point where I wanted to use more weird percussion elements, and it's like things like you know, like bottles or like mm-hmm. like seat belts, yeah, and stuff like that, and like weird like sounds, and then I'll just like cut them and like loop them in Audacity, and like that's been so cool. But yeah. like I want to do more of that where it's just like weird organic sounds. Like I'm working right now to get like keyboard amps. I'm gonna get like two and then like put them on either side of my desk. And then like mic both of them in stereo so then I can like do weird keyboard stuff. But that also like poses it's it is complicated because it's like, yeah, it's there's so many like I think it makes mixing more challenging. Cause yeah. mixing with like like uh virtual instruments is a lot easier. Absolutely. Yeah. No question. Yeah. Well, and you but you can come up with some like stuff that you would have never come up with. Yeah. Like for example, there for because obviously this is audio. Yeah. Uh, there's a box in this room, this like big black box in the corner right there. Yes. And it's heavy. And so what I did is I, for a kick on a song, I just mic'd the floor Mm -hmm. and dropped that on the floor. Oh, nice. And it created this sick kick. Yeah. And the song was called fallen. So it worked, you know, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, it was one of my favorite kicks I ever used, but I only used it for like one song. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, like, why not expand that, you know? Yeah. Why not drop more things? <laughs> yeah, drop more things. Yeah. Or, like, you know, uh, like on a guitar, we, one thing I did for uh, Santiago, which is one of my songs I put out, is, yeah. uh, you know, that part of the guitar, like the string that's in between, like, the the upper edge of the guitar and the the knobs? That little string that goes to the guitar. Oh, like after the nut, before the tuning peg. Exactly. Yeah. That string, I would like grab a pick and play that. Yeah. And then tune it. Yeah. Jimmy Page did that a lot. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. I, I didn't know if it was something people had done before. Yeah. But I was just like, oh, I'll do that. I'll tune it. And then I'll like yeah. put it in different parts of the song to create this like really cool like string vibe that's oh, just unique yeah. sounding. Yeah, like a harp almost. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, stuff like that is really rad. Like, um, I think, like, the combination of, like, making, like, weird organic sounds and then looping them is, like, so rad. Like, yeah. that's something that I've experimented with a lot lately. I think, yeah, the only problem that I get from that is, like, figuring out where to put them in, like, the stereo spectrum. You know what I mean? It's like, that's such an interesting thing to like try to figure out. Like when you're using like organic drum sounds, trying to like pan them in an interesting way, I think can be like really challenging. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think one thing that's helped me with that, because I do know that challenge. Yeah. Is deciding what the sound is most similar to. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to look at it. Because you realistically, you're just modeling it after a classical drum kit, like what a very standardized drum kit sounds like. Right. So that makes sense. So like when I made, so like one thing I have on um, another song is I took like a bottle, you know, those bottles that have like the weird suction thing where you like, 
like the suction straw, like the plastic straw. That's oh, part of like yeah. a big bottle. Yeah. It's like a reusable bottle. Yeah. Right? So one of those, um, I found that if I had it sucked and on my lip and then took it off, it made this weird like plopping sound. Like bloop. Okay. And so I used that on a song. And I thought of it more as like a block because it had an, a similar right. sound to a block. Like almost like a clave kind of. Yeah. So I treated it as if it was in oh, that same type of vibe. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I dig that. That's awesome. Yeah, like I've been listening to a lot of like, I found Audio Tree does like their full albums on Spotify. Okay. So you can find like artist albums and stuff like that. And like listening to like the live music, especially when they have um, some sort of electronic or really weird synth based stuff, you know, where it's like weird samples or something like that. Like I was listening to like um, uh, Elephant Gym do like their set and they're like a three piece, the drummer, bass player, guitar player. And the drummer, I'm pretty sure he's doing it. I haven't seen like the videos yet, but it's like, I'm pretty sure he has like some sort of like Octopad or like SPD one sort of thing. And he's like hitting it and he'll have, they have this song called underwater and he's like hit in these like certain times he's like hitting it and it's like a water drop sound. Oh, cool. Really reverby. And I'm like, man, that is so cool. Like, the live band, but with weird DJ elements to it. Yeah. And I think that that producing style is almost like the same thing, but with producing where it's like, you're making these weird organic sounds, but like digital and like looping them. And like, yeah, I think that's so cool. Producers kind of need to disclosure do more does. Huh? Disclosure kind of does something similar to that with disclosure? their setup. Disclosure, the EDM group. I don't know them. Oh no, no. dude, they're sick. They did, uh, they did like Omen with Sam Smith. Oh, with Sam. Dude, that sounds cool. Yeah. Like a so what kind of do they do like uh like softers or like what's their vibe? Um it's more like house. Oh okay. Cool. I listen to quite like if I was going to put my EDM listening into a category, I would say I mostly listen to house. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so like your Avicii's, your Disclosures. Right, right. Um Anyway, their their stuff's cool. Like their latest album wasn't as unique as mm. their other ones, but it was still really good. And their setup is a bunch of like acoustic instrument looking things that play samples. So they have like drums and like keyboard setups that there, if you just look up disclosure setup, I really want to see. Yeah, (laughs) no, it's super fascinating. That sounds really cool. And they like, they do, they play them live like Mm -hmm. these weird, like sampled instruments and stuff. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Have you listened to sun gazer? No, there. So it's, um, this two piece, uh, I think his name's Sean Crowder, the drummer, and then Adam Neely. He's he also has like a YouTube channel. Okay. He's he's like pretty big in like the music world. And he they do a lot of like jazz fusiony sort of stuff. Okay. And um yeah, they're a two piece and a lot of the times they just play as a two piece, which is like crazy because it's like they have all this like I think they play to a track sometimes. I'm not sure though, but their drummer has all these crazy triggers all over his kit. And he's mm. like doing these insane like um, they have this song called Drunk where they sample all of these like bits from it's I can't even remember the song, but it's like some song from the fifties and um they sample this part where the singer says something like, Is that all there is? And it's about like like uh dying, you know, at, like the end of your life or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, is that all and like they sample it and the, it's like down pitched and weird and it's all crazy and like they use a couple other like samples from that song and it's like they play it in this like very EDM it's like a very crazy, it's just so cool. And 
Yeah, he has triggers all over his kit. He's got like an 808 on the like an 808 sample trigger thing on his kick. So it's like he kicks it and it's like it's pitch. So every time he hits it, it plays that like in a pattern. Like that's sort of like the what the bass would be like normally holding. Cause then like the bass player, the other member is like switching from bass doing like keys. And it's just so crazy. Like their live stuff is nuts. Cause it's like just as much like crazy technical edm kind of stuff as much as it is like jazz fusion and it's like the most insane thing i think it's so cool that's like a really awesome thing that i think live musicians i want to see more of that i want to like see live musicians capitalize a lot on like weird triggers and stuff you know yeah i think that'd be so cool because watching it is like so exciting and then it's also like you get the weird involvement of like all of these weird samples and like crazy like EDM stuff. And it's just like, that's so neat. Like, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, taking it into like a really high pop context, I think that's one thing that Ed Sheeran was able to do that really set him apart. Cause he, he does loops. Yeah. He does yeah. one man show with loops, right? Wasn't that kind of his thing was he was like a looping busking mm-hmm. artist. Yeah. He was yeah. a looping busking artist, but like he just got, better than everyone else at doing it yeah and he had like a really complicated system i think he has like 16 like pedals for his loop wow so he it's it's not a simple like no (laughs) standard loop for a busking artist like yeah he's really thrown down and he's still a one-man show yeah which is crazy to think do you know like tosh sultana Tosh Sultana, no. Yeah, she's like the same sort of thing. She's Australian. And she oh, like I have this, seen her stuff. Yeah. Yeah, 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 she's, yeah. She's awesome. She just got like a signature Strat. Oh, Fender. nice. Yeah. And it's like, I feel like, I, I think it's really cool every time an artist gets a signature Strat, but I have noticed that they are basically all the same thing. <laughs> the only signature Fender guitar that I've played in a very long time that I thought was awesome was uh, the Brad Paisley Telecaster. Okay. And it's like one of the best. I think it's the best Telecaster I've ever played. What What would you say are some of your favorite signatures that you've ever played on? That one is like really up there. I okay. think that's a fantastic Telecaster. That's the best signature Telecaster I've ever played, hands down. The only other Telecaster that I've played that I think is better than that is I played a 56 or something. It might have been. A, I think I might be getting my years wrong. But it had like a... Um, this really deep U-shaped neck, like this mm-hmm. crazy thick like baseball bat neck, and it was super dark sounding, and like yeah, it was just great. Another music lingo term, dark dark sounding, sounding. <laughs> but yeah, it sounded really good. Yeah, that that was a great guitar. But yeah, the Brad Paisley one I think is great. Um, I'm trying to think of other signature guitars that I've played that I thought were cool. Oh, the Flea. Um, signature jazz bass, not the active one, but the weird shell pink one. Mm-hmm. That one was awesome. Like I got to play that at like, do you guys have Ted Brown here? The music store? No. It's like a thing in Washington. That's like, they're kind of, I don't think they're very good. They're kind it's like diet guitar center. Okay. <laughs> and they're re- they're usually like really small and like they're kind it's like a family music sort of place. Okay. And, um, yeah, they had one there at like close to where I grew up and I got to play one there and I was like, this is like a sick bass. It's fantastic. Yeah, I don't know. There's not a lot of like, oh, you know what's amazing? Like, Ibanez, all of their signature stuff is so good. Really? All, yeah, because Ibanez, I feel like, is one of those guitar companies where they, like, really care about their artists. Oh, like, okay. They have, 
these signature guitars that are like so well crafted, like all of like, like Polyphia, like their guitar players, Tim and Scott both have signature Ibanez guitars and they're really good. They, Tim has a couple, he has like a, like just a standard six string. I think he has an eight string also. And then Yvette Young has a signature Ibanez that's like a Talman. And that one is like, plays really well. And like, they all sound so good because Ibanez really just has it like figured out. I think a lot of their stuff is just like the best signature sort of stuff. I can't think of like another company that's done as many like just solid signature guitars as Ibanez. Like I feel like Fender every time they do one, it's kind of just the same as what they're currently doing. Right. Like they put out years ago, like they did the Jimi Hendrix Monterey Strat and it was so boring. I was like upset. Like it played so poorly. It basically just felt like whatever their Strat that they had like their, it was before the player series, but it was just like the American standard felt exactly like that. It right. was definitely not like a cool. Well, and like the John Mayer PRS is so similar. Oh, the silver sky. Yeah. The silver yeah. sky. That, that actually, that plays really different than a lot of strats. Oh, does it? Okay. There's weird cuts on it that are, I mean, Paul Reed Smith is gotta be like one of the best luthiers of all time. Right. Like he makes just like the most incredible stuff. I've done a lot of deep dives into like, his videos when he's very like immersed in like the guitar community, especially online. And he does a lot of like really cool videos and like a lot of stuff has come out where he's talked about builds that he's done. I watched one recently. There was like this eight string bass, but it was like just a regular four string bass. And then right behind it, almost like on a 12 string guitar, you would have like a normal guitar string. Okay. So it was like bass string. And then immediately next to it was like a smaller guitar string. So you'd play them at the same time, just like you would like a 12 string. Okay crazy had like the craziest sound and like the technology that was put into it was like nuts not even as far as like like the craftsmanship alone was like crazy but it's like all the electronics and everything just like so well thought of and yeah that silver sky is nuts like it's i think it's definitely one of those guitars that's like worth the money oh really yeah i think a lot of the guitars that's not too expensive either for a guitar it's only like 1200 right it's two grand oh it's two grand i think it's 2500 like brand new. Okay. Something like that. 22 to 25, something like that. Okay. 1200 so would be an absolute steal for that guitar. In my that's opinion. what I was about to say. I was like, I thought it was like 1200. If so, like that's yeah. insane. No, it's, I mean like two grand still pretty good for. Yeah. That. I mean, compared to like, especially PRS, like there's some, they get up there, they're expensive. And I think a lot of the times they're worth it. Cause like they have like just great craftsmanship and it's like one of those companies where you know that like, he's definitely like, I don't know if that's if it's true, but it feels like he's touching every single guitar that comes out of that factory. Yeah, it just has like a very authentic, authentic sort of vibe to it, you know. Yeah. But yeah, that guitar is crazy. There's like the the fretboard radius is like I think it's nine and a half, but it feels like not nine and a half. It feels very like flat and like very ergonomic. It's really good. Like it's just a good playing guitar. It sounds great. It has a good feel. It feels like a Japanese Strat. Like. All this, all the strats from Japan are like just phenomenal. Like mm. something about those factories, especially in the nineties, like they had like amazing technology that went into like building the strats. There's just like, it's very like obvious. Like when you pick up a Japanese strat, it's like, you can tell it's like just how it feels, how it plays, how it sounds. It's, it's just different. And it feels like one of those, like, it just feels very like true to like what it's supposed to be which is like this like very clear sounding chunky strat i think i think that's a great signature model 
I can't think of too many like signature guitars that I've played that I've been like blown away by. Honestly, a lot of them I kind of just think are just kind of garbage. Like they're kind of just, it's almost like they'll, they'll take whatever they're currently doing and then just like paint it weird. Yeah. And it's like, I just think that's so lame. Well, like the, uh, I mean the Ed Sheeran acoustic, because he has like a Martin signature acoustic. Yeah, the smaller like parlor size. Yeah, it's a parlor. Yeah. It's basically just a parlor Martin. Yeah. It's something they basically already do. Right. You know what I mean? It's I not, mean, it's not that expensive for a parlor Martin. Oh, how much is it? It's like, know? it's only like six, seven hundred bucks. That's a good deal. Yeah. I mean, for a Martin. Like, for a parlor Martin? Yeah. Like, it wasn't like, when I was looking for guitars, I looked at his and I was like, oh, that's not that bad for a parlor Martin. Yeah. But, and then I ended up getting a parlor Guild, so. Yeah. I mean, Guild makes awesome stuff. Yeah. No one's going to argue there. Who do you think needs a signature instrument that doesn't right now? Like, who's like the unsung signature hero? In the in the right now times, uh, I mean, I I, I would pray. <laughs> I know this is like a weird one. This I'm is like ready. super. Lay, lay it on me, man. This is super like someone who's like super underground. Okay. Someone we work with, you know, Harley. I think a Harley signature bass would be sick. With what company? I don't know. I don't know who would do well with her, but yeah, I think she she if she like was like in a control. Strandberg. Have you seen like, Strandbergs? No, I haven't. They're like headless. They have this like crazy ergonomic neck. I, I feel like it'd be something she'd be really yeah, into. Yeah, I'm with that. Yeah. yeah, she would totally be into that. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think she's just a great bassist, and I she think is. Yeah. She, you know, it's just not the right opportunity for her. That yeah. Basically, kept her from being insanely successful. Yeah. So, that's someone where I'm like, that'd be dope to have a signature, from her. Yeah. With a bass, I think that bass would sell better if like or does um does thundercat have a signature i don't know he should yeah i i almost feel like whatever his signature would be people i don't think it would sell very well because i mean he plays a six string which i already feel like is people either love it or you hate it yeah you know what i mean like i'm not into six string basses yeah but that's just me um but yeah, I think like, I don't know. Cause now that I think about it, it's like people like Polyphia and like Chan, like they, ha they all have signature guitars like, uh, Mario and Eric from Chan, Tim and Scott from Polyphia. Like they have signature Ibanez's and they're like a lot of money. I think they're around like 2000. I know they're like the Ibanez AZs, like when those came out, which are like $2,000 guitars, like they had signature versions of that that were like super good, kind of the same thing, but like a little bit different in a lot of ways. And um, I kind of feel like they used to be like really niche artists too. So I guess like, I don't know, like. And I would say Thundercat among like bassists right now, like modern bassists. Yeah. He's probably the biggest like. He's like a hero for sure. He's like one of the, the bass heroes, you know, that people like look up to. Right. I was 100%. Say. And he's like. He's definitely a reason I like transitioned to bass. There you go. Like listening to him or like, uh, what's her name? Uh, Saya Gray, she uh, plays for uh, Daniel Caesar. Oh, okay. And like, awesome bass player. I think she would. I think she <laughs> she should get a signature bass. I think. I think she's like one of those people that very like. You've heard her bass lines, but you have no idea who she is. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like one of those people, and it's like she needs like the spotlight a little bit. I think, because she does some like really cool stuff. I'm surprised there's not as much a market for signature synths. Yeah. Signature like yeah. Uh like CDPs, you know? Yeah. 
Because, I mean, Frank Ocean, Tyler, the creator, you could sell so many, like, Juno signature synths Absolutely. off of them. Like, and I, f- I would buy that. Yeah, <laughs> there was, like, a me? Frank Ocean signature synth oh, where yeah. all of his presets for Channel Orange were just, like, loaded on there. Yeah. And you could just, like, super rich kids and, like, dial it in and just, pl- like, that would be awesome. Well, because they kind of did that with, uh, in the production world for um, Phineas. With oh, Logic. really? Yeah, they have a they have a Ocean Eyes as a session that you can just like look in oh. on Logic now. Weird. That's actually really cool. Yeah. So he made like I'm sure he made a deal with Logic. Yeah. And did made like a pack or something. Yeah, and made a buttload of cash off that. And I've not seen anything like that before. You know, I feel like that's kind of the route that synth players go, anyways. Is like they they'd more rather play like a virtual synth. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like I feel like I feel like that's why it wouldn't sell. It might though. If like just to like low level dudes as yeah. like a live thing. I mean, know? I would buy it. Like if somebody That's what I'm synth saying. companies, if you're listening, I'll buy a signature. Frank Ocean signature, make that happen. Yeah. I'd like buy there was it. a signature Daniel SR synth. Yeah. That'd sell. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think there's a lot of musicians that yeah, if they had a signature synth it would be it would be money for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can think of like several. I could just go down the list, man. Yeah. You know who, like, of bass players who doesn't, ha- I don't think has a signature bass that I think really should is uh, Michael League. The fact that he doesn't blows my mind. Do you know mm-hmm. who that is? I don't. Uh, Snarky Puppy. Do you know them? Like the jazz fusion group. Oh. Or uh, Fork. He plays for Fork, too. Okay. They play, Um, they're like a very, like, both of those bands, like, very jazz fusion-y. Okay. They're, like, really cool, but it's, like, in the bass like jazz world it's like he's huge you know what i mean he's yeah. like up there with like the thundercats with like the esperanza spaldings yeah it's like he's like massive and okay. it's like he plays like a uh, really old school jazz bass and it's like that would be a six signature deal like oh, what okay my mind's blanking right now and i know you're gonna hate me for this <laughs> who's who's the lead singer of the black keys dan arbach dan arbach thank you yeah no, my, i just had a blank does he have a signature i don't think so he should have a signature. You know why I think he doesn't is because he plays weird guitars. But so does John Mayer. Well, John Mayer doesn't play like weird stuff. He plays like he plays clean stuff for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, like he plays like like the guitars that Dan Arbach owns like barely exist. You know what I mean? It's like he plays yeah. like guilds and like he plays like cheap stuff. Yeah, you know but that's I mean? why I think like a signature for him would sell like crazy because you can make it super affordable. Yeah. Like $200? Yeah. I, I think, yeah, I don't know. Tell me you wouldn't be tempted to buy a $200 Dan Auerbach I think guitar. I would. I mean, if yeah, if that came out, I think I would buy it. But I think the thing about him and how he's always written music and how he's always produced music is, like, he buys really cheap gear. And I think that anybody that is influenced by him would see like the signature and be like, no, I'll just buy what he's buying. Cause it's probably the same price. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? No, that's a good and point. he would be like, I just want like the mojo that he has when he's playing right on, uh, um, brothers or whatever, you know, it's yeah. like that. I'm excited actually, for his new album. His new album's coming out soon. A solo album? No, uh, Black Keys, Black Keys album. Ah, is it the covers thing? Cause I saw that recently that they did oh, a maybe bunch of it is covers. A covers thing. Yeah. I don't know if that's the same thing or not. It's like called but... like American cream or something like that. Oh, I don't That's know. Okay, I don't know either. I don't know if. It oh was a wait, cover. I think that is maybe. It could be the cover thing. I don't know. Yeah, I saw something recently recently about them doing a bunch of covers. You know, like, you know who I think should have a signature? Huh? Is uh, Vinny from Brand New? 
his guitar sounds are really cool. And it's partially his pedals, but I think he, he'd have a really sick signature. Yeah. Signature pedals, why is that not a thing? Speaking of which. That's actually a really good you point. You know, there are some. There's like a Green Day. There's like a Dookie pedal. There's um, uh, uh, Steel Panther has a couple signature pedals. Like, well, and for a while, they were giving out their secrets just on Instagram. Yeah. They would show exactly the the levels that the knobs were at. I, I do that all the time. I buy pedals specifically because I know the people that I really like play them. Yeah. Like premier guitar does like the rig rundowns where it's like, they literally go find bands that are like on tour and they're like, cool, let me show you everything that this person is doing to play live. And, and it's like, like where the knobs are for yeah. every single thing. Yeah. Oh, I can't tell you how many times like me and like one of my band members, one of the guitar players, Damon, we're obsessed with tone. And it's like, that is like literal porn to me, like watching the rig rundown and being like looking at all the gear and like, like pausing the video and being like, okay, cool. Where do they have their gain stages set? Yeah. And like dialing yours into the same thing. Like totally. Like, yeah. But it's like signature pedals aren't really a thing. And I'm like kind of curious. Like, I, I think it's a, I think it's a money opportunity that yeah. they're not taking advantage of. Yeah, absolutely. I think maybe a lot of it is like, there's so many like pedal companies that are kind of like in the DIY realm of things where it's mm -hmm. like, like a JHS pedals. Like, do you know them? They're like, I know you're not like a big pedal guy. I'm not a big pedal guy, but, but, uh, they, um, I think they're in Kentucky okay, or like a Midwest state, like a real Southern state. And, um, he's just like a guy, like he just like, like makes pedals. And like, I think he started by like modding out all of these boss pedals. And then he just like made his own pedals. And now he sells a bunch of them and makes like really cool ones. And they're super affordable. And it's like they're all just made in that one building, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, or like Earthquaker. Earthquaker is the same way, where it's just like a guy who like loved pedal. I think his name's Jamie something. And he like just loves pedals. And they do the same thing in like Akron, Ohio. They just like make all these great pedals. And I think like, yeah, maybe it's just because there's already so many people that make amazing pedals for like really cheap that it's like, Making, I think making pedals are a lot easier than building guitars. You see a lot more boutique pedals than you do boutique guitars, you know? Yeah. Or maybe it's just easier. Yeah, I don't know. Well, like, and two, there's some artists where I think they would have important things to say about it. Because, you know, people like Brian May, who yeah. have made their own pedals. Yeah. You know, like, who were really... Made their own everything, really. Right, <laughs> because know? they were just phenomenal engineers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and very like tone centric. Yeah. You know? So like if he would have come out with a pedal mass marketed sold when he was at the top, even now, even now if Brian may came out with a pedal. Oh yeah. It'd sell it crazy. Yeah. I think so. I think any of those like big musicians, well actually Jack White came out with a pedal now that Did I think he really, about, yeah, he has this weird, like it was a collaboration with a pedal company. So it is basically a signature pedal. Cause it's the same thing that we're talking about with like Fender and Ibanez. It's like Perfect. they, some company, I can't even remember what it was like made a um it's like a telegraph like three telegraph machines put together it's what it looks like and it's an octave pedal yeah so it's like, like octave up octave down and then like okay. a stutter or something like that, that makes sense for him too yeah. given that like his most popular song he's ever put out <laughs> yeah is a guitar and an octave pedal yeah so. and like yeah his stutter stuff that he does and like the rock and tours like yeah it's like one of his things like he does all the time so it's like yeah makes a lot of sense but yeah, I feel like that's, I, dude, I bet in like five years, that's going to be like a really big thing is people are going to come out with like crazy weird pedals that. I think the synth thing is untapped though. 
I agree. I think that's a really untapped one. Yeah. As I think I think that'll be idea. something that like as synth technology gets cheaper and like as synth companies are like selling a lot of their designs to like other companies, like it's gonna be like bigger and bigger and like people are gonna like be able to kind of make that stuff more affordable. I feel like synths right now are really expensive compared to other instruments. Like if you buy like a like a if you were to buy like a like a tube amp and a really solid, like well made guitar versus like a tube synth it's like the prices are so opposite, which makes yeah. sense. Cause like synths have so many algorithms in them, but it's like, I think as like digital technology becomes more and more like relevant in producing and like all of these, like, I mean, you go into like logic or Ableton, there's all these like crazy synth packs that you can get. They make right. like road sounds and Wur Wurlitzer sounds and all these like Juno presets and, and stuff. And they're excellent. Yeah, and they're all really good. Yeah. I bet somebody's going to start putting those just in synths and have, like, modeling synths, like how modeling amps were, like, mm. really big. Maybe that already exists, and I just have no idea. But, like, I feel like that doesn't – I feel like that's not a thing. I feel like there are, like, digital synths. Like, I have, like, a – my, like, Yamaha Reface synth that's, like, makes awesome synth sounds, but it's, like – I believe it's an analog synth or, like, as close to analog as, like, a not analog synth can get, you know? Cause it's all knobs and switches and buttons and dials and stuff like that. So you know who would kill it in that game? Who would uh, just make so much money if they did it, but they're never going to do it. What? Max Martin. Max Martin. Yeah. Who is that? The producer. I don't, yeah, I have no idea. Who you that know, is. dude, <sighs> no. dude, you're going to have like a freaking wormhole. He's done a bunch of girl groups that are really, and like boy bands and just like everything. Oh, okay. So like NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, gotcha. Britney Spears, Fifth Harmony. That Now that you mention Katie it, that Perry. sounds familiar. I was listening to a podcast where Justin Timberlake, I think, brought him up mm -hmm. or something. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah, I guess that would be like. He's yeah. a real big deal in the production world. Okay. And he uses like tons of synths, but he like, there's no videos of him just like breaking down anything weird so he's very private about it but like the people who know about him are like obsessive yeah okay that makes sense i think that that fits together too that like those secretive people are almost like easier to obsess over you know yeah in a way because yeah. there's nothing there so you just like try to find even the smallest thing yeah and it's more like coveted because it's like this unique thing that is like hard to find so it's like when you find information on them it's like whoa like that's crazy. Yeah, like, it's like you found a secret thing that like no one else knows about. Yeah. Like I I found like an interview series with Max Martin, and it's just like this like it's the only one I've ever been able to find, and I don't even remember what it was. But when I found it, I was like, I feel like I'm learning like deep dark secrets. <laughs> yeah, you like found gold. Right. Like, <gasps> it was a little weird to watch because like some of his stuff, I'm just like, oh, that's how he does it. <laughs> like. Yeah. Because they like, for a lot of their lyrics, they'll just read Cosmo. <laughs> that's solid <laughs> i'm just like oh that's not the most like it's it, kind of a bummer it's kind of a bummer but yeah. at the same time it's kind of like <laughs> kind of hilarious i think it's kind of nice when you find something like that where it's like something that you thought was like this crazy like <gasps> is like actually just kind of stupid and yeah. it's like oh nice like they're all just people like how how nice i feel like that with producers because like i still even like though i've been producing for a few years it's like 
producing, I think will always be this like weird elusive magic to me where I'm like, how do people mm. do it? Like, that's crazy. Like musicians have never really been like that for me where I'll like look at somebody like play guitar or look at somebody play bass. And I'm like, I can get there. Like if I practice enough, I'll get there. But it's like with producing, it's like, I almost feel like a lot of that is just like, there's some sort of weird wizardry mm. that people just have or don't have with it. And I feel like I don't have it. <laughs> so I have to work really hard to get it, you know? Like, yeah. Which is like, yeah, every time I see somebody produce, I'm just like absorbing as much as I can because it's like, it seems so elusive. It seems so, like to me, it seems so much more difficult than getting really good at an instrument because I feel like there's a pretty well worn path at getting good at instruments. You're basically, you just sit down and play a lot. Whereas like producing, there's not like a book of producing. You know what I mean? There's not like, like, you know how it's like with, you know, any instrument, there's like the real book or there's like the notation book that you can get. And it's like, it shows you a lot of techniques. Like me and the drummer in my band talk about that all the time, where it's like, it's so easy to learn like theory and notation now because there's so much knowledge about it. And I feel like producing is getting to that point where it's like, there's a lot of like knowledge that you can kind of get from people talking about it. But I also kind of think it's almost in the same realm as like the fitness industry where there's like a pretty solid path, but there's also a lot of BS that surrounds it. Yeah. And people are like, let me show you my path and I will show you everything on yes. how to become the best producer you could ever be. And it's all BS. Yeah. It's like stuff you would never need. It's like, there's all of these like equipments and packs and stuff like that. That's basically like the equivalent to like the shaker cup of like fitness right. where it's like the blender ball, <laughs> like all the weird, like weird fitnessy stuff. That, that is make so sense. accurate that it's ridiculous. Yeah. Like I saw, I, when I was learning about mastering, I saw these guys who used multipressors on their mastering. Right. For what reason? That was how they thought like mastering was done. Okay. <laughs> that sounds extreme. And that's how they were teaching it. It's like, oh, you got to put a multipressor on it. And I was like, um, uh, <laughs> and I like thought it was right. And so I was doing it for a while and I realized it was destroying my mixes. Yeah. Yeah. Like you don't need to master something with a multipressor. Yeah. Cause that's just crazy. That's just insanity. It's just overkill. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. And, but like, I thought it was right. Yeah. And then eventually I was just like, screw it. And so then now when I master, I basically just use like, uh, adaptive limiter compressor and then sometimes an exciter. Yeah. And that's it. And then stereo imaging too. Yeah. For the high end. Uh, that's it. I don't get complicated with it. I don't like, yeah, I'm not reinventing anything because it really doesn't need to be any more than like limitation compression and like stereo imaging. Like if you're just doing those things consecutively, like it'll be fine. Right. Cause everything else was done in the mix. Yeah. Yeah. Or you know? before the mix a lot yeah. of the times, like, yeah, you're doing stuff beforehand. That's like gearing up to master hundred percent, hundred percent. But people are teaching that online. Yeah. And it's just, it's junk. Yeah. And so it's the same thing. And, and I think the fitness industry too is a, is a good comparison because I would say unlike a lot of instruments, I think production has such like this wide range of outcome. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So like if someone said, oh, I want to get fit. You're like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of different things. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, are you trying to do the CrossFit fit? Yeah. If so, like that's 
very prone to injury and so like watch out make sure just like focus on your form yeah some people will push you not to be careful like that's yeah. the only thing that you tell them right yeah uh and if someone's doing bodybuilding you're like okay cool find someone that knows what they're doing make sure you listen well good form all that stuff whatever yeah uh but it's different for every single type of fitness yeah and then you have sports and then you have like and the muscles you use are all so different and i think yeah. it's the same thing with production where it's like okay if someone said like hey i have this book that covers production i would look at them like what are you, what are you talking about yeah because that's like I was listening to this interview of Blake Griffin and he was talking about, you know, the basketball player. Yeah. And he was talking about, he was like talking about like the basketball body Mm -hmm. and he was just like, it's a very specific body type and like how you develop the muscles that you need for that sport. The only way to really do it is to play that sport. And it's not like you could like, he was saying like, unless you like develop some sort of like track or cardio event where you're like, mimicking playing basketball it's not really possible to like build that sort of body or build those sort of muscles and it's like right so true it's like you can't really like fake your way around it it's like with these sports the only way to get good at them is to like play that sport and it's like with producing it's not like you could like produce for jazz and then like rock is gonna come out you know what i mean it's like it doesn't make sense that way it's like all of these genres of music are produced so differently and like where you would mix instruments how you would mix instruments like if you compare something like just just mixing drums from hip hop to rock is like wildly different. Absolutely. And it's like Learned you that could the hard never way recently. Th- yeah, like <laughs> <laughs> there's no like book that you could write where it's like let me show you how to like mix and produce drums that would cover both of those things. It's almost like you'd go in the opposite direction for either one. It's true. Yeah. Cuz like if you're producing so just one small tidbit of that. If you're producing hip hop, the kick is number one. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. Your kick is like the lifeblood of your mix. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really for hip hop and for a lot of pop too. Um, whereas if you go into rock, snare, hundred percent. That yeah. snare. If you put as loud a snare on a hip hop track that you do on a rock track. Yeah, your rapper is gonna be like, I don't know what the f was up with that guy, but yeah. his snares were so loud. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it would sound like a crack. It would sound like a gun or something. Yeah, like, sound crazy. Well, and also like, yeah, it's just like like symbols in either of those two genres of music are crazy, and it's yeah, it's just like everything about it is like so different, and yeah, it's just weird. It's the producing is nuts, and like the path to it makes almost no sense. Mm-hmm. It's just it's so crazy. I think that's one thing that makes people like Rick Rubin really stand out. Even though you know he does have a team that he works with for yeah, sure, yeah, and like an extensive team. But just the fact that he can like span such a wide variety of genre, yeah, and and be successful in all of those genres, yeah, is that's insanity. True. Like the fact that he can go from pop to rock to hip hop to country, yeah, without blinking. Yeah. And it all be excellent. <laughs> yeah. Have you listened to uh it's ridiculous. the Strokes album that came out last year? Yeah. That I'm pretty sure he produced, right? I think he did produce I think that. Rick yeah. Rubin produced that yeah. album and it sounds amazing. It sounds excellent. Like it sounds incredible and I was just like, man, this guy can literally produce anything. Like yeah. it's crazy. Like his stuff with Billy Corgan? He has like yeah. some solo stuff with Billy Corgan? Yeah. 
so good. It's definitely the best Billy Corgan has ever sounded. Like I think. Oh like, yeah, I would say he sounds better on that than he does on um, oh man, that Smashing Pumpkins album, Mellow Drama. No, it's not melodrama. It's like mellow something in the Star Sprites. has a weird name. It has like the girl oh, on the melancholy cover. Melancholy and the Infinite melancholy Sadness. Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. Yeah. Yeah. I think Billy Corgan on like that first piano driven yeah. album he did with Rick Rubin sounds better there than he does on yeah. uh, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. No, I agree. I think totally you're right. Like it's, it's, it is weird. And even like you look at like how he produces versus like how... um like Kalen Ellis produces, you know, it's like you have like these two and it's like the, the techniques used are like so different. It's crazy because it's like, as we like progress into like new technology, like the way that people produce is so different. Like, especially with hip hop now, it's like how hip hop is produced compared to like how like Jay Dilla made hip hop, you know, it's like crazy different. There's actually some weird similarities there. There's a lot of people who follow the Jay Dilla philosophy within hip hop. Oh yeah. You know yeah. what's funny though is I feel like it's almost like live artists have like actual drummers are more inspired by Jay Dilla than people that make electronic drums. Which people is that so use ridiculous. 808s. 808s. Yeah, it's it is crazy because it's like you wouldn't I would have never thought like especially meeting a lot of drummers when I moved here, people are just like like, oh yeah, Jay Dill is one of my favorite drummers. And I'm just like, favorite drummers? Like, what do you mean? But then it's like, you think about it and it's like, yeah, I guess Jay Dilla kind of did, like in his own way was like a crazy drummer. Like he yeah. understood patterns in a way that was like really weird, especially like, I don't even know if he knew how to drum. Like I have no idea if he actually like ever sat behind a kit or anything oh, yeah. like that. But it's like the weird, like the drunk feel, the swing to all of his stuff. Yeah, like, the uh, quintuplet swing. Yeah, it's crazy. It's just He's mastered it. And like, yeah, I know so many drummers, especially very technical drummers that are like, oh yeah, he was awesome. Like he made the coolest drum beats. And I'm like, yeah, that's like a good point. Like there's, I mean, with playing bass, it's like there's a lot of stuff like that where it's like some of the best bass players like played synthesizers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like a lot of that sound is like in the, like the weird pitch wheel and like the Moog bass lines and stuff. And it's so true. It's weird how like instruments now have like kind of transposed the instrument itself and it's like people get so much from i feel like a lot of math rock musicians are looking at piano players more than they're looking at guitar players like math rock guitar players especially mm, you know? interesting you know what i mean it's like it kind of seems that way where it's like there's a lot of like there's open tunings and it's like you have two guitar players that are playing like chord and melody and it's like it sounds so similar to like what a classical or like even bebop like piano even though those are so different but it's like it sounds so much like something that they would play yeah and now these like math rock musicians are taking that and kind of doing their own thing with it on different instruments and it's like i love that like i think that's so cool it's that's so true and i love i that's one thing i love about music mm -hmm. is just the way that it transcends any preconceived boundaries yeah so like ska for example i think ska is a great example because ska went all over the place yeah. Because it, like, started with, like, some, like, I think it started with, like, white people in the 50s playing it. And then it, like, influenced Islander music. And then Islander influenced, influenced it. And then it went into England and got influenced more. And then it came back and became this punk scene in the 90s. Yeah. Which is so strange. Yeah. Like. Yeah, that is crazy. I never thought about that. But, yeah, that is true. It's, like, 
it's like I don't know the history of ska, so I can't really attest to that. But it is like it seems that like it has overgone a lot of like rehashing. Yeah, like it's gone through all of these. Yeah. like it's the Pokemon of music. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's like gone through all these. Well, and that's how like music is like all music is like that all like yeah. cool music goes through all these weird things you know yeah like emo got really influenced by the electronic uh edm stuff yeah and then edm got really influenced by the e- emo artists yeah i love like that kind of cultural exchange like i think that's really cool when music yeah. kind of goes through these filters of like i think that's awesome we were talking at practice yesterday about how um the beach boys like in a weird way like pioneered a lot of like insane effects that we use all the time now like Mm. reverb like i'm we were thinking about it and like i have no idea but i was trying to think about like in like 65 66 when they were releasing that like crazy i can't even remember the name of the album yeah pet sounds it's Mm -hmm. like they um used all these like weird reverb techniques and stuff like that and like all this like almost like surf like pre-surf music you know and it's like it is weird to think about how like I feel like they don't get as en- enough credit as being people that kind of invented stuff. Hmm. I feel like people look at them as like, they're really like they made really good music, which they did. But it's like, I kind of feel like in a lot of ways they like pioneered a lot of stuff. Same with queen. Yeah. Queen gets that a lot too. They yeah. invented a lot of cool stuff that they just ma- mainly get credited as musicians. Yeah. Like really good musicians. You yeah. Know? Like even the Beatles are like that where it's like the Beatles pioneered a lot of cool stuff that I don't think a lot of people are really look at them at like the paragon of like, mm-hmm. like invention when it's like they invented just as much cool stuff as they did make cool music, you know? Right. Or, or Phil Collins, another one. Yeah. Yeah. Same with yeah, the gated totally. reverb. Yeah. Which is like huge. Oh, right now. I, I'm tired of it at this point. I'm so <laughs> tired of Gator Reverb on snares. When I hear yeah. Gator Reverb on snares, I'm like, oh, do I have to listen to this? And then sometimes it's really good, and so I'm still into it, you know? Yeah. I like it when it's natural, when it's like you when you get it in a room, like an actual snare. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It sounds so good. Like just a, somehow getting that organic gate sound I think is so awesome. Like if when you, you do can, that, like, that's rad. Yeah, like that is like unbeatable. Yeah, but in general, now when I'm like, when someone puts us on an album and they're going for that 80s sound again, I'm like, okay. Yeah. Okay, how many times are we going to do this before yeah. we get tired of it? <laughs> I was like watching this video. I think his name's Brandon Scott. He's like a a um, like a like YouTube drummer. And he okay. like, does like YouTube videos about drums. And he was talking about how producers have been using this like exact same drum beat, like just way too much in like pop music. And so much of it is that like gated snare that like really 80s sounding but it's always like dialed way down because it's like hip-hop and r&b kind of like pop music you know you're not gonna like want that like loud snare sound so they're like like dumping like gates onto snares but then like turning the volume of it down in the mix and it's like he showed all these examples and it's like yeah dude like that is everywhere like that gated snare sound but like Mm -hmm. turned down a lot like yeah. is very prevalent especially in pop music right now yeah yeah 100 percent. i think we're gonna see a rejection of it at some point but uh, it's not I, in general it's not happened yet too many pop yeah. artists are still doing it i hope in the next couple years like drummers kind of get there i feel like they they haven't really had like besides like in the era of jazz drumming like in the golden era of jazz like i yeah. feel like drummers kind of got like 
that was like a good time to be a drummer. And I feel like for a really long time, it was like being a drummer was like, you were not making a lot of money and like, you weren't really getting like the spotlight. But I think like in current times now that like, there are like just insane amounts of like complicated music that needs complicated drums and like real drummers are like kind of getting the spotlight because of that. I think that's becoming more prevalent and I hope it continues on that path because it's like, you see like drummers like Yusuf days and like, um, JD Beck and Mm -hmm. people like that becoming more and more like well-known for like doing like these cool hip hop sounds, but like way organic and like way outside of what you could do with just producing drums. And I'm like, that needs to happen more. Like I think more session jobs need to like involve drummers, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like session drummers are more expensive than any other session musicians yeah and i bet it's because they're kind of hard to find like good session drummers because it's like i think a lot of the times like for a long time it like wasn't as necessary you know what i mean it was like almost like kind of shoved aside compared to other like instruments yeah but maybe that's just like my scope of like looking at the music world my thought process too is like okay let's look at a parent who is letting their kids play an instrument yeah <laughs> which one's last on that list yeah that is a really good point it's a kit yeah absolutely totally i mean and they're expensive i mean drum kits are arguably the most expensive instrument to just like get into yeah like, for sure to, to buy a full kit with cymbals and everything like pretty like thousand dollars you know it's like yeah. it's expensive like and that's like low end yeah yeah that's cheap that's like dirt cheap yeah Whereas, like, you could get a beginner guitar amp for, like, 200 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> like Or less. Yeah. It's not good That is less. a good point, yeah. Uh, the and, and pianos, too. Like, you know? Yeah. If if you started out with a piano, it means your family probably had some, some cash. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, me starting out with a piano, that means, well, my family probably had some cash yeah. at some point. So, yeah, you could, like, hop on one. My family had a piano that they inherited from my grandfather who bought it from a bar or something. It's from like Sick. 1939. It's that like must really sound old. Awesome. It sounds really cool. Like I've always wanted to like go over to their house and like record it. They told me they'd give it to me one time and I was like, no way. But then I'm like, I don't own a house. So I have to like move with it all the time. And I'm like, not trying to do that. Cause not that would yet. be insane. I remember when, they moved, like my parents bought the house they live in in 2008 some we something like that i think around that time and i remember very vaguely like them moving it into that house and it was like because i was like a little kid so it was like crazy how much effort it took to move yeah. it in there it took like four people and it's like yeah pianos are furniture going back to the drum thing though uh there are two artists right now who are like together as a group we're both drummers they're also vocalists but they started out drummers who are probably like top of the game right now who the bruno mars anderson pack oh yeah that yeah yeah because they're doing silk sonic and they're both they started drummers yeah yeah and well anderson pack is like a known drummer right he's like drumming on everything yeah he plays drums on the silk sonic stuff yeah you know on their music video He's sitting at yeah, the drums. Yeah, he's playing on the kit. He's playing drums. Yeah. Also, Bruno Mars is playing piano in that video. So right. And Bruno Mars is also a drummer. Yeah. I feel like either of those instruments, if you start out playing them, you're kind of ahead in a lot of ways in the music world. 
Yeah. Those are two instruments that I feel like are, I mean, very, very easy to start into, but then hard to master. Mm. And then it's also like, it gives you a huge kind of like scope into like what fleshed out music sounds like, you know what I mean? Because you're covering so much of like what is going to be like a whole song. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Especially with the piano. Yeah. Cause piano. Yeah. I mean, you can make full blown music with a piano. Yeah. You can, you can have full piano, just piano. And that's like something people listen to regularly. Yeah. Is instrumental music. That's just piano of instrumental. I would say number one, you're getting orchestrations. Number two, just piano. Yeah, totally. And then number three is going to be like jazz sets without yeah. vocals. Yeah, totally. I think that's definitely true. I listened to this, uh, live album that was um, recorded in Copenhagen and it was like do you know Pino Palladino the session yeah. bass player so his son Rocco Palladino is playing bass this guy Charlie Stacy is playing keys and Yusuf Days that I mentioned earlier yeah. is playing drums and they did this like live album and it's like so cool it is mm. like this weird kind of like jazz hip hop sort of vibe and it's like just insane like it sounds so cool and I think that along with like, you know, like people like Thundercat and then people like Anderson Pack and all these other like very, like we're playing instruments type musicians. Like, I think that's going to like pave a lot of way for like younger artists to like pick up things like drums and stuff like that. Cause I feel like when I was a kid, like there weren't a lot of drummers, you know what I mean? Like not a lot of kids were like yeah. jumping on drum kits and stuff. But I feel like now that hip hop has become like the biggest genre in the world, it's like, yeah. like I want to play drums cause it, it just makes more sense to do that than a lot of other instruments. Right. Yeah. I mean, when we were growing up, like the only like real big drummer of like that time was Travis Barker. Yeah. Him and like Trey cool. Yeah. Those were the only drummers that I knew. Yeah. Like if somebody like at 12 years old, if somebody was going to be like, you know, like who's your favorite drummer? I would be like, I don't even know <laughs> any drummers. Like, right. But now it's like half my favorite musicians are drummers. You know what I mean? It's like drummers are everywhere and they're so good. Like there's right. so many really good ones that have like come up in the last like five years that I think it's going to be like, it's, it's going to have its spotlight, which I think is cool. Cause I think for a long time it didn't. And it's nice that like, there's a lot of genres of music that are like really big right now that weren't like five or 10 years ago that really focus on like instrumentation. And I think drums is one of those things that's like definitely coming out of the background and into like the foreground of like kind of the spectrum of music. Yeah. I just think that's awesome. And I think that has a lot to do too with it being like the golden age of hip hop right now. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think it's fair to say that this is like definitely the golden age of hip hop. I think, yeah, what people are doing with hip hop right now is definitely the best that it's ever been. Yeah. I think that there's the listenability of it is like huge. I mean, everyone's listening to hip hop. Right. And like its influences is massive. Like people are that don't even play hip hop or listening to hip hop and like using it in some sort of way. Yeah. And I mean, just the fact that hip hop is every genre of music. Yeah. It's like, it's its own thing. It's like, it's right. Yeah. So yeah, people from all over, I think it's inspired a lot of people to like pursue their instrument in a more mainstream way because it's like, I feel like, like 10 years ago, like when I was learning, like, well, even like I've been playing guitar for like 14 or 16 years or something like that. Okay. When I was like a little kid, like learning how to play guitar, it was like, being a guitar player was cool because it was like everybody was playing guitar. That was like the instrument that people were playing. But it's like if you played like violin, it was like, okay, cool. Like, I hope you're into classical music. <laughs> but right. now it's like violin is like awesome. 
Like, yeah. you know, it's, it's a definitely like now a cool instrument. And I feel like a lot of instruments like that, that weren't like, you know, quote unquote cool are like becoming instruments that people want to pick up because hip hop has made them something that people aspire to play. Yeah. Yeah. And like band instruments, like jazz instruments and stuff like horns and like other brass and stuff like that. Like people are like, I can play this because then like Kenny beats will sample me. <laughs> right. Which is dope. Like, I think that's awesome. Yeah. And more power to him. Yeah. That's sick. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I, I think it's awesome. Yeah. It's weird how like a single artist can have that influence. Cause I know, um, what's her name? Lindsay Sterling. Yeah. Had, like a big influence on the violin community. Mm hmm. Which is crazy because she's not like the most talented violin, but what she was doing with it to electronic, like putting that EDM influence on it yeah. and like really going for that. Well, and the videos and everything the that videos she came were out sick. with. sick. Yeah. Which is super captivating. And it's like she made it a performance. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. And that's, I think it's cool that that shines a light on these instruments that are kind of like odd to go after. Yeah. I think we definitely live in the best time for almost every instrument right now. I know that's kind of a bold claim, but it's like, mm. you think about like, we live in the time where the best guitar players that have ever lived live right now. Like the virtuosos of guitar are all alive right now. Like the best that have ever lived. And it's like, mm. same with like, there's a lot of keyboard players that are like that too, where it's like the best that are have ever existed are like coming up right now like the charlie stacy's the domies like people like that that are coming up into like the keyboard world bass players are kind of the same way like not that like both of those like he's in bass like i mean like there's you know like chick korea and herbie hancock and then like with yeah. bass it's like there's james jamerson and there's so many like really great bass players that have existed for such a long time and have been prevalent in the music industry for such a long time but it's like now we're, we're going into like, there's Thundercat now. And it's like, there's all these other bass players that are like incredible. that are like popping up. Yeah. And Harley Swisher, not a big deal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. But she's so talented. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That is really interesting. I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm a hundred percent on board with piano players. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of, that's hard because there was a time in like the period of history where like to be a very skilled, just a piano player meant you were like a god yeah you know yeah and we're not that's not the case for piano players right now definitely not but it is weird because like they're super talented right now yeah i feel like it's almost something that's like it used to be like the rock star instrument of its time you know what 100%. I mean? but now it's it's still just as used if not more because of like synth it's just not as like it's not as obvious yeah it's, but it's like more prevalent than I think it ever has been. I mean, it's like there's more songs that have synth or keys that I feel like might have ever had them in like weird different ways now because of like how like, yeah, you know, like transformable, I guess, like the, the synth has become. But I, that's, you know, that's kind of near there, here, there, there. Yeah. But the, I just think in a lot yeah. of ways, like a lot of virtuosity exists in this current time. I agree with that, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. If if I'm looking at like percentage of total pieces written mm -hmm. that are written like exclusively for the piano or with piano as solo instruments, or as like a primary instrument. Yeah. Yeah, we're going back two hundred years. Yeah, for sure. With <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, you know? prob probably like, more than likely. But to your point of like virtuosity and of it 
of more than ever. Not mm. like more as a percentage, but more as like a total amount. Yeah. Right now, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. With that, I'm. Uh, I will put my stamp on that and say yes. <laughs> yeah. This is yeah. like top time. Cause yeah, it's. I think it's just like one of the best times to play an instrument because of like. I mean, that's true with every year. Every year, it's the best time to play an instrument because more technology comes out and things get more and more used and like. I actually, I have an interesting question. Uh-huh. Okay. So I was reading this book recently and I wanted to hear some of your thoughts on it. Cause I was like, Oh, this is, this is like an interesting quote. Mm-hmm. So it was talking about life satisfaction, uh, in regards to goals that we set. Right. Okay. And it found that those who had set a goal of becoming successful in the performing arts were the least satisfied with their lives uh, after 20 years. Yeah kind of like an intense statistic that is yeah what do you feel like musicians can do to be more satisfied with their lives if that is their goal i think i like have less expectation okay i think when i was like learning to play when i had decided when i was like 10 that like i'm gonna be a musician and like that was like my path and has like since been my path I had, like, definitely when I was 10, had this, like, ridiculous, like, these crazy, like, grandiose kind of goals of, like, I'm going to be the biggest musician that the world has ever, like, just these ridiculous, like, pipe dreams that, like, didn't make any sense. And as time has gone on, and especially the last, like, three or four years, I'm, like, don't want that. I want to kind of be obscure in a weird way. I want a cult following, if that makes sense. Yeah. like... 40,000 people that really like my music and then that's kind of it. I definitely don't want like the the riches, the fame, like all that sort of stuff. That sounds terrifying. I think a lot of people in the music world that get really successful like that quickly realize that it's not very fun. Yeah. Because it doesn't sound very fun. Like I think a lot of people evaluate success based on the results of what their career has led to and not how much fun or how much love or passion they've put into what they're doing. Mm. I think a lot of people are like, I'm waiting to be platinum, you know, and I'm waiting for like somebody to like just these huge milestones that are like ridiculous. And I think a lot of people get to that point and then realize like, this isn't, this doesn't make me feel better. Like now that I have this success, I don't feel good. You know, it's like, it's just kind of something that, is very specific to the entertainment industry, like the performance industry that you don't see in other things. Like I don't think welders are looking at welding and being like, I can't wait to be the most successful welder that the world has ever seen. I don't think that like car mechanics are looking at that sort of thing. I don't even think that like authors are looking at that sort of thing. I don't think that like a lot of people that write books are looking to like JK Rowling or whatever and being like, I want to write the most successful YA novel that anybody has ever read. I think a lot of times what most people are looking at in their careers is like, I want stable income. I want to do something that I'm proud of. I want to build some sort of business or product that a lot of people can really like and use and that I liked creating and I like designing. And I think artists a lot of times don't, really think in that sort of way yeah and i think that a lot of times they're like kind of waiting for the payout and not like how much fun did i have creating this music i get stuck like that all the time where it's like that's why i deleted social media it's like i would post something and i would be like can't wait to get all these likes and it's like that's not 
why I should be posting music in general. That's not why anybody should be making music. Nobody should be making music for people to hear it. I mean, you'd want people to hear it and you want right. people to love it, but it's like the goal of making music, I think, is that you love making music and you need to do that because you need to do it because it's a life force for you, you know? Right. I think that's kind of the biggest thing is like people have really high expectations and they get into something, whether that's like a band or a project or an album that they're working on and they expect a lot out of it after they're done with it or even while they're creating it. And they don't realize that like a, that success might never come and B, even if that success does come, they're not going to feel satisfied simply because of the success. They're going to feel like kind of let down. I think in a lot of ways, just because it's not a reason to make anything. Yeah. And I think that's like, kind of a problem that like social media has really like shown the world is that like, like success in the eyes of other people is not going to make you feel good. It's not going to make you happy. It's just going to make you more kind of vapid and weird. (laughs) And like, I think a lot of artists, like if they just approach music as like, I'm doing this because I love it. Like I'll put money into this because I love it. I'm not expecting to get paid. I'm expecting to like love doing it and create it because I love it. I think that's probably the most, the best way to maintain a high satisfaction level. Yeah. Cause like, I mean, I think a lot of people have this, like it's misconstrued in a lot of ways. There's a lot of misconception that surrounds music where I think people think that they're going to like sign a record deal or something like that. And then be these huge musicians that tour all the time. When in reality, it's probably like, you're going to go on tour for two months. You're going to come back home and then you might have to just like get a job. Right. And like people, I don't think realize a lot of times that like bands are doing that constantly where it's like their income might not even like bands that are like, you might listen to and like think are really cool. Like they, those people might have like day jobs or like do yeah. other stuff. Cause like they need to do it to make money. Or even successful musicians will turn to like another source of income, you know, looking yeah. at your, like your Kanye's, your Jay Z's, yeah. your Post Malone's, you yeah. know, like then music industry is definitely like a very unstable way to make money. And like, yeah, unless you have something that you can regularly like use to pay your bills, it's like, yeah, like income is hard. (laughs) And I think a lot of people think that like, Oh, if I write that one hit, like I'm going to get really successful and like, I'm just going to constantly get money and like, it's, I'm going to get paid out all the time. And it's like, you might never, (laughs) like that might never happen. Right. And if you do like, yeah, that is a great source of passive income. Yeah, absolutely. Like, as far as passive income goes, writing a hit can be an insane amount of passive income. Yeah, totally. 100%. Yeah. Uh, one thing I really liked that you said that uh, I thought of, too, when I was when I first read that. Because, yeah. like, when I first read that, it shook me. I was just like, yeah, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> but then yeah. I thought through it, and I was like, oh, it's because sometimes... Even like these great artists who are really making it, they aren't satisfied with their lives. Yeah. And so if the thing that they're searching for never happens, yeah. if that's completely unattainable, then there is no success point to reach. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's a lot like when you're addicted to something, it's kind of like you think that if you get to this point that you 
are 100% is going to make you happy. It's like, it's not going to make you happy. Like your unhappiness comes from a different source. Like, right. it's not like, Oh, I'm going to get this job and my life is going to be great. No, it's like, if you're in like a relationship that you hate, or if you live somewhere that you hate, or like your life is just not good in some way, your career is not going to save you from that. Like you're going right. to hate your career, like is what's going to happen. And like, it's not going to fulfill you. That fulfillment has to come from somewhere else. Like, right. I think the best thing that anybody can do is like, be 100% happy in their like boringest part of their lives. Yeah. Like I, like I'm at a point in my life where it's like, I would love to play music as a career that obviously is the goal. And like, I need to get there. It's not something that I ever would like not do, but like everything else about my life is fantastic. So I know that when I get to the point where I can make money playing music and do that professionally, I'm not going to be sad that like, my career has not panned out. Cause it's like, I just want to make money. I just want to like get to the point where I can like make it and income no matter how much, like yeah. just playing. If I can just break even and like make minimum wage playing music, like I would take that over anything else just because it's like, that's the only aspect of my life that isn't fulfilled. And I'm not seeking something like great. I just want to be a working musician. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, especially in that industry, they'll get to the point where they are a working musician and they're like, I need more. Like I need more right now. Like I, this is not satisfying. And it's like, they forget how quickly that success just messes with your brain. Cause it's like two months ago you weren't making anything and you had a day job and now you're like a musician full time and that's not good enough. And it's like, that should be good enough. You know what I mean? Right. I think a lot of people just like chase success in these like really unhealthy ways. And it's like, as long as you're like, I think that as long as you're like making money and you're like doing good and you're playing and performing, like that's the dream. That's all anybody really wants to do. You know, like that's all I want to do is like, I don't care how many people know me. Like if I can like consistently play to like, like I was saying, like, like 40,000 people a year and like, they're all really into it and it's a good time. Like, that's awesome. Like if I'm only doing like Midwest tours for like the rest of my life, as long as like I can make money doing that, I play to people that love me. Like that's awesome. Like that's a dream. Yeah. What more could you possibly ask for? Like, yeah. Yeah. My, my my view, my kind of conclusion was, was similar to yours in that Mm -hmm. I thought, okay, like what is the ultimate goal then? Like, like how can I simplify this goal to be more satisfied with it? And I thought, I would love like the 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 simplest like goal where I'm like satisfied is if I could continue because like right now I saved enough money where I could pay all my bills yeah from the money I had from before right yeah um and so I'm I songwrite and produce and work on music all day every day yeah uh if I could continue that for the rest of my life just that yeah. I'm super satisfied. Yeah. If like, yeah. if I can songwrite every single day is like primary thing I'm doing that day. Yeah. That is a happy day. That's like the happiest day of my life. Yeah. You know? So yeah, I, I think understanding that of like the joy of just songwriting or of just, yeah. you know, like playing for one person and just getting really excited to see their reactions Yeah. about the stuff you're playing. That's like, if you can get the maximum satisfaction out of that and live in that moment a hundred percent, I think that solves that satisfaction issue. Yeah, dude, 100%. Well, it's like I, would, I, I said one time to my girlfriend, she was asking me, like, like describe your, like, perfect day. And I was like, same Monday I've had for the last, like, month where it's, like, I have Monday off of work. I get up. 
I walk my dog. We like take him to the park or whatever. Like I make a smoothie. <laughs> I would come here and like we would write or whatever. Yeah. And then like that's that's it, man. Like that's that's fantastic. That's add, an awesome add a day. show at night and then like dinner somewhere. Oh, yeah. Yep. Add a show at night. Yeah. And you're that's, that's it. That's dude. the like, day. That's that's the perfect day. And she was like, No, I meant like if you could do whatever. And I was like, I just told you. Like if I could do, I would be doing the exact same thing that yeah. I do right now. I would just make income doing that. And that's it. Like if I could just make like the same amount of money that I do right now at my minimum wage job playing music and writing all day, like, like what more could you want? I feel like people want so much more sometimes. And it's like, man, yeah. Like if you could just make money, like just make enough to live, like doing your dream, like that's all I could ever hope for. Like, that's awesome. Like just doing that. Yeah. Like just living a very modest life. Like I think people get like that all the time where it's like some musicians like want all this, like, like fame and stuff like that or like a lot of money and it's like man if you want a lot of money like playing music like if you if your goal is to make a lot of money like don't play music <laughs> yeah if your goal is to make money become a hedge fund manager yeah 100%. do do something in the financial realm like don't do something you can make with so entertainment much money there yeah do, so much do something like that or like yeah like do sales or something you know like yeah. anything like like try to work your way up in a company become a manager of like an in and out where you make 95 yeah. grand a year or Code something some like app and sell it to some yeah company, yeah know? be an investor i guess like or do real estate something yeah. like that like yeah don't play music music's never gonna make you a lot of money well it could it could but you know like murphy's law you know <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah 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 for sure because like you know but but it's weird because a lot of those people who are making a lot of money that are musicians aren't necessarily making the majority chunk of their money from the music they're doing. Yeah. Even, you yeah. know, like Taylor Swift, for example, she makes an insane amount of money every year. Yeah. Not all that's from music. A lot of that's from her brand deals. Yeah. Well, and she yeah she has like she's a brand. She has like a signature everything. Yeah. She has signature picks. She has signature straps. She has signature guitars. She has she has so much signature stuff that it's like. It's ridiculous. Right. And it's like, you're making so much money doing that, that it's yeah. like, you probably don't even need to like do anything else. Right. The albums are promotion for everything else she does. <laughs> yeah. That's so accurate. <laughs> that, and that's what Kanye said in his interview with uh, Joe Rogan. He was like, yeah, I put out music. Like the music is a loss. Yeah. To promote everything else I do in my well, life. Well, especially when you calculate how much time goes into it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like for someone like Kanye, who is like, everybody is listening to him. The amount of time that he's putting into all of that is like ridiculous. Right. Like to produce all of that music, any artist that's like that, like you're, you're not like, if you were to calculate like how much musicians make an hour, it's probably a lot less than you'd think. You know what I mean? Like, I think yeah. a lot of people would think that like, Oh, they're making thousands of dollars an hour or something like that. But it's like, probably not. Like when you like boil everything down to like, where that money is coming from, where it's going, and then, like, how much money they're actually putting into music and where that money from their music is coming from. Like, yeah, it's probably not that much money. Yeah. Especially after, like, taxes and, like, you're paying your whole team and, like, money's right. going to your label. Yeah, it's it's a lot of, like... But if you of, can get a shoe line around with that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you can get a If you can with, sell into other industries? Yeah. Like, Travis Scott is, like, gotta be, like, one of the most highest-paid musicians just because he's got a like a like a mcdonald's burger <laughs> like yeah it's probably making tons of money off of that and he's got like reese's puff cereal i feel like more money is coming from that than his music dude what what would your cereal be if you had a signature cereal it would be weird i think it would be really or do you know what um my I would girlfriend do like oreo cereal man that would be really bomb those are so good I, or <laughs> s'mores have you had s'more cereal before man yeah 
It's so good. I don't buy it because it's so good. Like, I, I can't. I have no I bought it because I was just, like, <laughs> curious. Yeah. And, like, that's my dessert, man. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. It is dessert. It's not cereal. Like, people no. call it breakfast cereal. Like, people are eating that for the breakfast. Like, it's a bad move. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's this thing called Waffle Crisp. Have you ever oh, heard yeah. of that? Yeah. Like, I think so our, good. if Waffle Crisp, if I ever got really successful and Waffle Crisp was like, let's do a partnership, I would be like, in. Don't pay me. Just, I want my face on Waffle Crisp. You imagine? I don't even want money. <laughs> like, That'd be awesome. I went to Omega Mart, my girlfriend and I, like a couple weekends ago. And have you been there? No. Dude, it's, do you know what it is? No, I have Omega no idea. Mart. Oh, so at Area 15, they Oh, have, okay, okay. I know what you're talking about now. Yeah. 100%. Like the weird grocery store thing, yep. the Meow Wolf thing. I saw it. It wasn't open when I went to Area 15. It's open now. Check it out. It's okay. 100% worth it. It's so cool. It okay. is like, it is so awesome. I had such a fun time going in there. It was it was crazy. It's so much more than you'd even expect. There's like, there's a room. That you, there's two of them. The two different rooms that you can go into where it's just synthesizers and drum machines. You can like press buttons. It's so much deeper than you could ever imagine. Like the ideas that they came up with for that whole exhibit, it extends so much more than just like this weird grocery store. That's just like the entrance. Like you go in and there's like these deep catacombs and these weird rooms and like super it's it's just, i could talk about this and for hours. there's it's also crazy. like you also like can buy produce there you can buy anything there you can buy that's so weird like it's not it's not actual food or, there's no real food okay, but it's all no like fake like weird stuff but it's like super cool a lot of it is like some sort of merchandise like they have like an avocado that unzips and it's like you can put stuff in it oh weird <laughs> it's really crazy they had a cereal called oh those <laughs> and it's just like staplers and like household supplies and i'm like I want that. Like, that's the cereal. Somebody, I don't know who could make that, but if I had a partnership with a cereal, I would be like, make oh those. And I'll partnership with Meow Wolf and we'll do that. And then we'll pitch that idea to Cheerios or whatever. And whoever makes like cereal. General Mills. Yeah. Or Kellogg's, Kellogg's or whatever. Yeah. And we'll be like, make oh those and like marshmallow shaped. And it'll be vegan. And like, yeah, that would be sick. It was like the weirdest thing. It was so crazy. Somebody asked us, we were like almost at the end and this incredibly tiny woman came up to us and had a huge flashlight, like a mag light and like, like flashlighted my girlfriend in the eyes. <laughs> and she was like, you, and <laughs> we were like, ah, oh, what? And she said something like, if you were a spoon, what would you stir? And I was like, I don't know, man. Like I, and like my girlfriend was like, like frosting, I guess. Like, I don't know. And then, she didn't acknowledge the answer. answer whatsoever and then flashed the light at my chest and was like, you. And I was like, ah. And she was like, if you were marshmallows in a cereal, what would you be? Like, what shape would you be? And then I was thinking about it as we left. I was like, oh, I should have said stapler. I said star. Star's a good like, one, Because I was like, I'm a star. <laughs> I was like, man, I should have said stapler. I should have done a callback. But I was not prepared. It just, like, blew my mind. Some of the people that work there will, like, do stuff like that where they'll just, like, like ask you crazy questions that are like there's clues and it's just weird stuff there's clues all over the place and like there's weird phones that you can pick up and like there'll be people talking on the other end and like all this weird stuff that like you just wouldn't expect from there it shatters thing. your expectations in almost every way huh yeah go go check out omega mart that's cool <laughs> to hear because sure. when i went to area 15 i was like yeah this is all right because the rest of area 15 it's cool yeah it's kind of just basic stuff but it's pretty basic like vr like zip lining yeah. Stuff like that. Like your classic vape. Like, yeah. That, that yeah. sounds basic. Mm. 
anywhere else in the world, that'd be like, that's the entertainment spot. In Vegas, you're just like, oh. Yeah. Vegas, I feel like you kind of get a little bit spoiled living here. Like, I definitely did. I've been here for, like, two years, and it's like, when I first came here, I was like, this is crazy. Like, everything was so insane, and it's like, there's, like, VR everything, and, like, you can get, like, the, your foot eaten like the scabs of your foot like the fish thing you know what i'm talking oh, about yeah, you put, yeah. like that's a that's in every mall you just go to a mall and fish will eat the scabs off your feet and like weird stuff like that and it's like yeah every other part of the world is just kind of like that's insane but then it's like you live in vegas for a while and it's just like oh the fish thing again man like that yeah again, like that old trope oh, and the it's like standard stuff yeah you know? all the vr, VR like, yeah. zip lines yeah zip lines in every mall basically <laughs> Yeah, Vegas is a it's a weird place. It's basically a huge playground. Yeah. I yeah. mean that's what like going into Omega Mart felt like that. It felt like you were just in like a weird adult playground. Cool. It was really cool though. Yeah. That's cool. I, I like that. It's it's kind of fitting the downtown vibe too, because downtown has like, you know, container park and Yeah. Downtown is sick, man. Downtown is sick. Vegas is cool. When I moved here I didn't expect it to be as cool as it is. Yeah, well, because you kind of just, a lot of people just think of the Strip. Yeah, totally. And then you figure out everything else, and you're like, oh, well, this place is actually interesting. Yeah, the Strip's not even that cool compared to a lot of the other stuff that's going on around Vegas. Like, there's some really weird stuff that's happening that's like, yeah, like, Area 15 isn't on the Strip. No. It's, like, out of the way. You kind of have to, like, go there to, like, it's not like, oh, we're, like, walking around this weird downtown area. Like, Area 15 is, like, in this weird part of town that, like, Yeah, it's, like, industrial area. Yeah. Like, yeah, besides, like, my practice space is around there. And yeah. besides that, it's just 7-Elevens and, like, mechanic shops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, like, Area 15 is, like, this massive center of, like, weird entertainment. I think they have axe throwing there. As they should. Yeah, because it's just, why not? Like, <laughs> let's, and I think they serve alcohol. <laughs> like, no, they I'm do. Not... <laughs> they have a bar there. <laughs> that's crazy. They I have wasn't... a bar and they have ice cream. That's nuts. Vegas is basically the only place where you can, like, throw a weapon and, like, get ice cream and beer all in the same room. <laughs> That's pretty accurate. Like, <laughs> those weird. three things all in the same room? Yeah. Yeah. Vegas is weird. Vegas is a weird place, man. It's cool. Yeah, it is rad. Yeah, I I think about that sometimes. Because sometimes I'm like, oh, maybe I should, like, move to some place where it's, like, easier to, like, get connections and stuff. And then I'm like really like vegas yeah vegas is hard to leave at first i kind of thought it was a trap you know that vegas is just like like in a bad way where it's like you come here and then it's like you just get stuck but then i'm like man no vegas is really cool like it actually it's not just like this weird desolate like i like when i first moved here it's like meeting a lot of the older musicians where it's like a lot of them have that whole like I could have been somebody kind of vibe, you know, where it's like the unsatisfied. Yeah. Like the very, like they definitely wanted to be like Motley Crue and never were. And were like very ashamed and like, they think the world owes them something. You meet a lot of people like that very quickly, but then you get into the heart of people. And a lot of them are just like people like you and me, where it's like young musicians that are just trying to like make it a lot of Vegas is like that. A lot of the Vegas musicians are kind of like, yeah, younger people that are just like, very into music in like a big way and it's like it's really cool there's not a lot of places like that where it's like you meet people that are that passionate yeah it's like really cool and it's also like you can play a gig next to like huge musicians like totally almost any night of the week it's like you the amount of music that's happening here is like crazy and like the level of it is crazy yeah the genres are crazy you meet it's just such a 
like they call America like the melting pot of like the world, but it really is like New York and Vegas are like very much like the most melting pots of like this country, I believe. Yeah. You just meet such insane people here. It's crazy. Like I've been here two years. It feels like I've been here for 10, like just the amount of time and like the people that you meet and interact with. It's nuts. I mean like since you've been here, like how many musicians do you think you've worked with that have been like some of the best musicians that you've ever worked with? Oh, so many. Yeah. It's, it's nuts. It's like you meet some of the most talented people in such a short time. Yeah. And they all want to work with each other. That's like the cool thing. It's like, that's true. There's not a lot of musicians that are like, I'm too good for this or whatever. You meet a lot of very talented people that are very easy to get to like very easy to reach. I feel like that's very rare where you like, it's kind of hard to get to like the really cool people, but here it's like, there's not a lot of like snobbery that exists. There's a lot of really good musicians that are like very accessible. I think that too, I mean, I don't know how it was for you in Washington as much, mm-hmm. but I think that too is partially your attitude. Cause I think there are snobbier musicians. Yeah. I just think because you have such a good, like humble attitude that's helped you avoid a lot of those types of musicians. Do you mean me personally? Or yeah. You be- personally. Oh, thank you. I, pre- I appreciate that. No, yeah, it's uh, what I see. Yeah. You know? Well, thank you. Yeah. I mean like in Washington, I think, like in Seattle specifically, because that's really where people go if you're going to play music in Washington. Right. There's not a lot of big cities in Washington. No. Even Seattle is 700,000 people. It's not a big city. Is it only 700,000? Yeah, very small. That sounds insane to me. And you can get from like basically one end of the city to the other. And like it's smaller than Vegas. It's like, you can oh, get, it's very And fast. that's just Seattle, but like the Seattle area. Yeah, and there's a lot of musicians in like Bothell, which I kind of consider outside of Seattle, or like Tacoma which is definitely outside of Seattle, south of Seattle. There's musicians there, but it's like a lot of them are kind of like expecting something in some way. A lot of the people that I ran into, I think I might've just like hung out with a lot of people in like the wrong crowd. You meet a lot of really nice people, but I think like there's a lot of like, like exclusivity that happens in Seattle Mm. and like, like Bellingham too, which is like a college town where there's a lot of like good music there's a lot of like exclusivity that happens there where it's like Mm. shows are almost like harder to get to, even though they're DIY. And like in Seattle, it's kind of the same thing where it's almost like you have to try harder than you should to like reach people that like aren't really that great. You know what I mean? Like that's actually a good point. Cause like, so for example, in Vegas, I mean, one of the biggest promoters here and the one with like probably the most connections is Saliba. Right. mm -hmm. And how easy it is to reach Brian Saliba is crazy. Yeah. Like I know a lot of people that are not big that like know him personally. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, it's yeah. And that's insane. Cause he's like literally the guy who's helped skyrocket, you know, imagine dragons. Yeah. Escape the fate. Yeah. Like all these crazy bands. Yeah. Oh, well, and like Vegas is very much a community. Oh, hundred percent. I think a lot of people from Vegas that haven't been to other cities, like I hear a lot of locals that are always like Vegas is shit. Like nobody likes anybody. And it's just like kind of extreme. And I'm like, no, like there's like, there's a lot of community in Vegas. Like there's people so here, much. like, yeah, like really into working with each other and mm-hmm. like promoting each other for what they're good at. You know what I mean? Like helping people get along at the area that they want to get along at, you know? Yeah. Whereas like in Seattle, it was like, not a community it was definitely not like what it used to be i feel like in the 90s it was very much like a like when my parents lived there in the 90s like because i was born in seattle in like 96 and my parents lived there when i was born from 96 to 98 and like 
when they were living there before they had me and even when they had me, they were they would always say stuff like, yeah, Vegas or not Vegas. Seattle was like this very tight community. It felt like it felt like how Vegas feels now where it's mm. like everyone kind of knows each other. You know, the people that are around here, like even if they live on the other side of town, it's a city of two million people or whatever. So it's like, you know, there's a lot of people here, but it's like it feels very communal. Like there's a lot of like, yeah. you know, people know each other. In Seattle, it's not that way. I think it used to be. Like, how my parents describe it, they're always, like, with musicians. It was always, like, musicians playing weird shows, like, all this kind of stuff happening. But even when I worked at this restaurant right next to Numo's, which is, like, one of the coolest music venues in Seattle, a lot of it was famous people. You're not getting, like, a lot of, like, local musicians. Local acts aren't really big there. It's not, like, a musician town anymore. That's too bad. It sucks, because it used to be. And, like... Now it's very much like a Amazon centric. It's very expensive to live there. So I think a lot of the art has been pushed out. I'd imagine it's a lot like San Francisco Mm. where it's like, you have to be very wealthy to live there. I mean, like living in Seattle is like ridiculously hard because it's so expensive. I don't think a lot of artists are living there now compared to like maybe what there used to be when like my parents would say stuff like rent there in the nineties was like, you could get a place downtown for like 400 bucks, like a studio, like a, like a 600 square foot studio apartment for like $400. That same studio now is like three grand. You know what I mean? It's like, it's insane. It's like the prices of it have like skyrocketed so much that I don't think a lot of like up and coming musicians are looking at Seattle as like, this is where I'm going to go and like struggle, you know? Right. Whereas like Vegas, you can come here and like, like I live in the nicest place I've ever lived in Vegas for the least amount of money I've ever spent on a place. Yeah. And it's like, I make less than I've ever made because the minimum wage here is so much less than Washington, but it's like the price of housing is like a third of what it is in Washington. Right. So it's like, you're meeting a lot of people that are like very poor, but they're not like incredibly like struggling at stuff. And then you're because of that, like musicians are everywhere. They're abundant because it's like they have more time to focus on music. There's more musicians just inherently because it's a bigger city. But then it's also like I think cheaper places you find more musicians. I think musicians on average live in like less expensive cities. I think that's why you're seeing like a lot of like like Atlanta, Vegas, like Texas musicians, you know, mm-hmm. like people from like Austin, like mm-hmm. I feel like I've been seeing more people from Austin, Atlanta, and Vegas than I have like Seattle, San Francisco, LA. Yeah, like it's well, just, LA is kind of an exception, I think, because LA and New York, I think, will always be just because of their population density, and also just because like of the infrastructure, the yeah. entertainment infrastructure there is ridiculous. Yeah, like the fact that you can make an album and then talk to a producer who needs syncs for a movie. Yeah, on the same lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, in like, the same hour, <laughs> like it's crazy. Yeah, that's that's something you can't do here in Vegas. Yeah, yet, yeah, maybe someday. Yeah, I would love that personally, but not right now. I think no. in some ways it's kind of cool. Like I'm always gonna be more into like the New York side of things, where it's very much like live, 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 like all the time. Like mm. music is just always gonna be like live, and. So I always think about that because, like, I I love to move to either of those places, like LA and New York. But mm-hmm. given the opportunity, I think I'd rather move to New York. Simply really? Because yeah, because there's more live music. Like, there's more it's too people. Cold. Yeah, <laughs> worth it though. <laughs> I would, oh. LA for the weather though, like man, that'd be. Dope. LA's weather's awesome, and yeah. and the thing is, if you if you're in the right part of town, I mean, it's not it's not that bad. Yeah. So. Well, dude, 
this was fun. This was great, man. Thank you for Yeah, I don't even know how long we've been at this, but I know it's been... Probably a while. <laughs> yeah, it's been like over two hours. So. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, no, this was really fun. Yeah. We'll have to do this again sometime. That, yeah, that would so down. And then we'll That'd start to have to uh, produce some hip hop together. Yeah, I'm looking forward to okay, it, man. That sweet. would be fantastic. Sweet. Okay, cool. Uh, by the way, uh, Carter Woodson, Kevin Massey. <laughs> Get through the whole podcast without saying our names. <laughs> no one knows who I am, dude. <laughs> that would be really funny if we never even just like, who's this random person you yeah, just had yeah, on yeah, your yeah, podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Carter Woodson's a really talented bassist and guitarist. Oh, thank you. Uh, and you guys, I mean, I'm Kevin Vassay, you know. Very talented producer, singer. And oh, thank piano you. Piano player. Thank you. I, yeah. I try my best. Yeah. Uh, great. That's it. That's the podcast. Bye, everybody. See ya. <laughs>